Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and you know, guys, I'm already excited about reviewing Mission Colon Impossible Dash Dead Reckoning Colon Part Two Colon The Reckoning Ing. And joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. You know, I don't think there's a second colon, to be honest. Uh, I but, know that's but, true. That's true. Um, you know, <laughs> yes. You may choose to accept this mission, but you must accept the designer vest. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. Like the rest of my reviews this summer, you're only getting the first half. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us across all of our channels. Uh, we're on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube at the Filmcast Pod. We're on TikTok at the Filmcast. Uh, and support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Uh, we discussed lots of interesting stuff there, including last week we had a conversation about the Bear Season 2. Uh, recently, we've also reviewed Asteroid City and Extraction 2 on the After Dark. Uh, a lot of fun stuff happening over there at patreon.com slash filmpodcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Today, of course, we got some what we've been watching for you. A lot of fun stuff there. Uh, but first, we got to talk about what's going on in the world of Hollywood. Major news occurred over the course of last week. SAG-AFTRA went on strike. Uh, SAG-AFTRA represents 160,000 actors, uh, broadcasters, and other personalities. Uh, and this will be the first time that both SAG and uh, the Writers Guild have been on strike in over 50 years. I think the last time was in 1960 when that happened. Uh, so this obviously has massive consequences for Hollywood, the industry. Uh, I tuned into the SAG-AFTRA press conference uh, where president of the organization, Fran Drescher, uh, addressed the audience and also summed up the grievances that SAG has with uh, the AMPTP, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, Here's a clip from that press conference. I am shocked by the way the people that we have been in business with are treating us. I cannot believe it, quite frankly, how far apart we are on so many things, how they plead poverty, that they're losing money left and right when giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. It is disgusting. Shame on them. They stand on the wrong side of history at this very moment. So, of course, we uh, on the film cast support the actors and what they're trying to achieve. Um, I recently had a chance to interview uh, an actor, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. But it seems to me like a, a, some of the big sticking points here are around residuals, uh, namely that actors' residuals have gone dramatically down in the mm -hmm. age of streaming. And also the use of AI. Um, actors want to have rights over their likenesses, and the uh, AMPTP is less uh, understanding along those lines. So, so those are some of the bigger issues. But I guess I just wanted to, to bring this topic up because it's going to impact Hollywood. You know, Jeff, you mentioned uh, remembering when you lived in LA, the writer's strike shut Hollywood down. This is going to be 
a complete standstill for all Indeed. of Hollywood at this point, right? It's going to be, uh, it's a very, very big deal. Sadly, that clip that you played of Fran Drescher, who I think, you know, spoke powerfully and eloquently on the topic, uh, just, you know, don't Google her other views. Yeah, about don't, some things. don't, don't yeah. look up yeah. her other uh, viewpoints and you'll be- Don't yeah. champion her too much. But, but in yeah. this case, in this case, in this she case, spoke she's nailed very it. powerfully on the <laughs> yeah. topic. Sadly, that clip you played can apply to a whole bunch of industries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, one hopes that this being uh, the industry all eyes tend to be on in this country, you know, with its uh, with, with so much celebrity and highly and visible people, highly indeed, visible yeah. known people. Yeah. This is our biggest export, right? Entertainment. Uh, as Americans, we value our entertainment highly. We value celebrity highly. Uh, so one hopes that this can shed some light on wild wage inequality uh, across a number of industries. And this notion that she brings up so, I think, so uh, appropriately about how so many of these these companies are like, oh, poor us, poor us, when you know the the tippity top executives are getting tens of millions of dollars a year, uh, and, and I think a lot of that has happened already in the sense that a lot of the reporting around this has been showing the salaries of all the heads of all these companies that are crying, uh, you know, poor and crying uh, that they're endangered. It's like, well, maybe we should rethink some of this, and I hope that that trickles down to a lot of different. Uh, facets of modern life it's 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 a powerful moment it's a uh it's it's a scary moment um for uh, a lot of people in in this position and for our economy as a whole uh, but i do think it is one I, you know i side very strongly i'm a member of sag i side very strongly um with unions in general and and this this moment in particular to say hey you know, there there is no good moment to to go on strike, but there there is a an inflection point uh, that it seems like is is nearly past at this point, and and we have to grasp onto it and say something has to change. Yeah, it seems like th the writers and the actors, uh, the the feeling is that they are in an existential fight for the future mm -hmm. of their professions, right? Yeah. Like if their contracts are not completely rearchitected that there will be no artist class in Hollywood anymore. And that, that is the, very much the tone, the feeling I get from a lot of these conversations. And what is shocking to me is it really feels like kind of the, the whole fiddling while Rome burns situation, you know, to me. Like, there is no end in sight for this. It's not even like, hey, we're in active conversations every single day. Uh, as far as I can tell, there's no real active negotiations going on on the side of the AMPTP. There's no one that has emerged as the person that is going to get us through this. There's no leadership that's going to be like, hey, you know, um, it, it doesn't feel like Bob Iger is going to be the one that like makes this happen. You know what I'm saying? So uh, Fran Drescher has already said that the actors are ready to strike until 2024. Um, so it, it really does feel like this will go on for quite a while. Um, and uh, it's shocking. It, it has impacted... Uh, things that were already in production. Deadpool 3. Shockingly, there that movie was in production, even with the writer's strike, which, by the way, has been going on for a little over two months now. Uh, that movie has shut down production. Uh, there, there are some things that it hasn't impacted that I was kind of interested to learn about. Uh, House of the Dragon Season 2 has not been impacted because uh, people who are uh, British actors basically work under a different set of rules. 
Uh, but yeah, uh, any sort of Hollywood uh, production has ended. Devendra, I'm curious if you have any reaction to this before we kind of move on to the next topic. But yeah. No, I mean, I think everything is fair. It's pretty much what we've been saying about the WGA strike as well. So yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised it went this way. I wish the Directors Guild, I, w- I wish like there was true solidarity here going on. And uh, yeah, we have stuff to talk about in terms of how we cover things too. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've been seeing the sentiment that the Directors Guild really missed an opportunity because because basically they're on a de facto strike because they can't do anything, right? Or there's very little they can do. um, And they missed out on an opportunity for potentially better terms. Go ahead, Jeff. That's not entirely true as far as little that they can do. I mean, there there Mm -hmm. is a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff that is not covered in the strike. This is a strike Mm, for TV and film production. Uh, Directors and actors are free to create commercials they're cre- free to create animation. They think of the podcasts coming out of this situation. <laughs> it's going to be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're free to create um, uh, animation of uh, uh-huh. that's not feature animation. Uh, there's actually quite a bit of stuff that isn't doesn't fall into the purview. And so directors, I think, will will have an opportunity to work uh, as will some uh, some actors in, in certain cases. But uh, this will have a huge impact on you know everybody. Yeah, that's a fair point, Jeff. And I know for a fact that there's many like indie film productions that get SAG waivers um, <laughs> because they're not doing work on behalf of the studios at this point. Um, on that note, I do. How, want- how many actors are calling their agents right now and going like, "Hey, you know how <laughs> I've always wanted to do some theater." <laughs> On that note, I do want to make clear that there has been a lot of chatter online about uh, movie reviewers and people who make content about movies and TV shows. Um, I just want to make clear what our perspective is at this point, uh, which is that what we do on the film cast is distinct from the kind of promotion that actors or influencers do on behalf of films. Uh, we aren't paid by the studios uh, in any way. We We generally don't have... Uh, sponsorship from studios. I think it's it's extremely rare in our history when we've been sponsored by any kind of uh, studio. And uh, we are paid, in in fact, by our listeners, by you, um, patreon.com slash film podcast. Those people pay for, you know, we have a little little bit of advertising, but the overwhelmingly vast majority of the way we're paid is from our listeners. Um, And so, uh, and, and by the way, all you need to do is listen to a single review on this podcast to know that we we only provide honest, sometimes very negative opinions about the movies that we discuss. So our current plan is to continue doing the show as we have been, but we will monitor the situation and see if further action is required. So uh, just wanted to let people know in case they're curious about uh, how the strike will impact this show. But anyway, uh, that is what I wanted to mention about the SAG after strike. It is a huge deal it's going to have cascading impacts on a variety of different industries. And uh, it's really unfortunate, I have to say. It's really unfortunate that it has come to this point and that the AMPTP is like seemingly not even willing to negotiate on, on any one of these major deal points. So yeah. we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But It's going to yeah. be a, a fascinating thing to see. And, and we, I think, as the uh, end users, so to speak, the, the audiences, I don't think we're going to see the effects it's going to be time shifted, right, to when we will see the, yeah. the real effects of it. But it, it, the effects will be real and they will be measurable. And you know, I, 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 I it's hard to see a uh, a a clear endpoint or how this is going to play out. I will tell you, as somebody who you know lived through a strike and and has been very very. Uh, engaged with the outcomes of deal negotiations and contract negotiations in SAG's history over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, uh, 
rarely has it worked out well for the actors. <laughs> I will tell you, uh, I, I personally, and I think there's a vast majority of, of uh, rank and file actors, uh, not super thrilled with how contract negotiations have played out over mm-hmm. the years. And uh, hopefully this will be the, one of those times where uh, it, it, it pans out better and the deal is actually better in favor of the actors. I, I, I don't know how it's going to actually yeah, work. Yeah. My, my sense is that all sides are going to be weakened as a result of this whole situation. You know, like everyone's going to come out of this in a weaker position. E- even, the, even the producers, the studios, they'll come out of this really bloodied as a result of this. Um, and there, we, we might see further consolidation in the industry as a result. You know, we've already seen the number of studios has continued to go down. Um, Disney bought Fox. Amazon bought MGM. Um, I expect more consolidation might come as a result of this. It really does feel pretty apocalyptic, doesn't it, guys? I mean, between this and, bad. and yeah. also um, I, this interview started going around recently. Like, uh, I think it was Spielberg and Lucas from you know, 15, 20 years ago saying, like, at some point, mm-hmm. there's going to be just a string of really expensive movies that bombs and the entire business model is going to collapse. And it really does feel like we might be kind of if not in the middle of that, then like maybe this is like a for foretelling that we've seen multiple high profile, incredibly expensive movies bomb this summer. Specifically, I'm thinking of the flash to a slightly lesser extent, Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny Mm -hmm. um, to, and to an even lesser extent elemental, which actually has strong legs. It's yeah, Um, it's it's growing. So yeah, but still not like what they had hoped for. Yeah. 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 Um, But yeah, it really, it really does feel like we are, we are living through the fall right now. And it's, uh, I do, do, but I want to reiterate, this is essential. I think this this strike, this movement, fighting for your labor rights, this is this is like the canary in the coal mine, I think, for a lot of people right now, because labor is such a popular topic. Like people are finally getting are educating themselves on a lot of these terms and what it means. And there's a generational difference here. Like when I talk to my parents about this, um, they're like, oh, man, all these all these writers and actors are going to lose their jobs to like, you know, people in other countries who are going to make things. I'm like, yeah, that's that's not the point, you know? Like they they are fighting for for their existence right now in this industry, so it's going to be tough. But this needs to happen, right? I agree completely, and yeah. that's something I've been trying to be careful about. Is mm-hmm. you know a lot of the reporting, the headlines are like such such and such canceled because of the writer strike, or such and such canceled because of screen actors guild strike, or whatever you know. And I try to be as careful as possible. Yeah. Like it's canceled it, because it's canceled the because and producers don't negotiate. Right, exactly. that's why it, it's canceled because the studios are not acceding to their demands, or or even being willing to negotiate in good faith. Seemingly, uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, so I, I try to frame it that way, but yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it, it, I, I agree with you, Devendra, that we have to be careful about how we talk about it and we'll try yeah, to be the careful. Fr- the framing, I think a lot of media in the U S too, just is very much like they focus on the wrong thing, I guess. And yeah, that's why we have to have these conversations. Yeah. All right. Well, that is some of the film news that's been going on. Um, let's take a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more and what we've been watching right after this. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Zbiotics. You know, there's a great Bluey episode where the parents are just really tired the day after a night partying. I think any adult can relate to that situation, and as a busy person myself, I am trying to avoid that. So I have started drinking Zbiotics to help me out. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. 
Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it the most. Just remember to drink Zbiotics before drinking alcohol, drink responsibly, and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. I just recently had a cookout with family, and I was worried about waking up and feeling good the next day to bring my kids to daycare and everything. So I drank a bottle of Zbiotics before any fun times, and the next day I felt just fine. Honestly, it was kind of shocking. Go to zbiotics.com/filmcast to get 15% off your first order when you use Filmcast at checkout. You can also sign up for a subscription using our code so you can stay prepared no matter the time or occasion. Zbiotics, that's Z B I O T I C S, is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/filmcast and use code filmcast at checkout for 15% off. Thanks to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode. All right, folks, let's talk about what we've been watching this week. We've got a few things to hit you up with what we've been watching. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the movie 65. Oh, I'm so curious. I, I was so close to watching that this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my waiting game of it never having paying, never paying for this movie is finally it's, paid off. It's paid <laughs> off. It paid off because this movie appeared on Netflix. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're paying for it, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Um, not only, not only that, not only that, um, it is like one of the top movies on Netflix. <laughs> this is such a fascinating thing. Uh-huh. You know, I, I spend a lot of time. We're well, not a lot of time, but I I spend some amount of time studying the Netflix top ten just to kind of see what what you the you know the American people are into, right? And <laughs> and a lot of the times it's these. It old, was like an alien studying. Yes, that's right. <laughs> what are these American people into? What are these human beings? What do they? What do they enjoy? How do they work? Humans. Yeah. <laughs> why do they enjoy resting on their couches and looking at these moving images and sounds on these screens? Um, and a lot of times it's movies that came out and bombed at the box office or didn't do well when they originally came out. Yeah, but now that they're on Netflix, people are like, oh, it's free to check this, quote unquote, free to check this out. That's uh, I do think know, yeah. that is a a wild modern phenomenon yeah. of the movie that is. Mm-hmm. Very interesting to me, but not interesting enough for me to leave my house. Yes. I mean, that was the that was the home video market thing yeah. for a while too. So it's it started there. It right? started like there. How, but yeah, how much effort do you want to put into this thing? There, now, there is a formula can, there. Now you can kind of see evidence of it yes. via like Netflix's and Amazon's top ten charts, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but, it's a great concept. Like you, you say, you tell somebody in one sentence what that movie is about, and you're like, "Yes, I would watch that with a beer and some friends or something." Yeah, sure. Uh, so I will tell you what the, the premise of 65 is. This is a movie starring Adam Driver. Uh, and the, the premise of the movie, which you learn in the first few minutes is, uh, Adam Driver is a spacefarer. Uh, he, he, we find out in the first few seconds of the movie that, um, before humans were ever on earth, other societies, uh, you know, existed in other galaxies far away. And, uh, you know, they have their own cultures and their own things. And then we we go to this planet called Planet Somaris, I think, which is where Adam Driver's mm-hmm, character mm-hmm. is from. A long time ago in a galaxy far, long far time away. Long time ago yes, in a galaxy far, yes, far away. Now, yes. now he, Adam Driver's hanging out on the beach with his wife and his child. And he's like, I got to go on this job <laughs> because I got to afford uh, space school treatment. Space school no, for treatment my for my yeah. daughter who is sick. <laughs> and my first reaction was, wow, it's very clear an American <laughs> wrote this because they couldn't imagine, even in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away, long time ago, that they would have socialized medicine. You know, yeah, like that they would yeah. have that. Like they even, can travel through space. They can travel through, through space. The stars. It, yeah. They have conquered the galaxies 
but they cannot figure out a way for everyone to have health care. That is yeah. the yeah. premise of 65, right? <laughs> but literally, <laughs> look at any other country on Earth. Oh, man. We're doomed, um, aren't we? We're just doomed. My, my wife went to the urgent care, and the doctor made her take her mask off, and I can't get over that. Oh, yeah. That yeah. Sucks. So, but yeah. yeah um, We're so, doomed. So yeah, that, that's that's terrible. Anyway, sit so, down and enjoy sixty five, everybody, <laughs> on your Netflix. Um, that created this revolution that everyone is now is destroying Hollywood as we speak. So, uh, Adam Driver takes a job and he goes. He's like, I'm traveling on this mission, and he accidentally uh, runs into an undocumented asteroid belt, and he's carrying a ship full of people that are in cryostasis, and he uh, crash lands the ship. Everyone on the ship dies except for one person, uh, and this is a, a little girl. You, this is on the poster and the art. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it's, it's him. a trailer. This yeah. all happens in the first like 10, 15 minutes. So then he is then needs to get to safety uh, with this girl, and you find out that the place where he crash landed is Earth sixty five million years ago. So that's the movie. Space um, stuff versus dinosaur stuff. Great concept. Great concept. It's also yeah. uh, I think directed by the people who did a Quiet Place. The writers of a quiet yeah, the writers place. of the quiet place, yeah. and so it's like, oh, th- there's a lot that this movie has to recommend. It. I-, I will talk about what this movie does well, which is Adam Driver gives this movie his all. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like he is in physically challenging, uncomfortable situations throughout this movie. A lot physically is demanded from him throughout the course of this movie, and he is just going for it, man. Because you know his 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 physical person is being tortured and so on and so forth, um, but. The problem, I think, with this movie, this is my diagnosis of this movie, is <laughs> it is a mid-budget sci-fi action movie, of mm-hmm. which very few exist, right? Like, most sci-fi action movies are either huge budget, like sure. um, Jurassic World, let's say, which has done a bunch of dinosaurs, or ultra-low budget, I'm going to throw out, like, Upgrade, you know? Right, right. Uh, the We need more uh, Riddicks up in here. Yeah, yeah, That yeah. was such a weird anomaly, yeah. But there's just very few mid-budget sci-fi movies, and the problem there's is... Few mid-budget anything. That's true, mm-hmm, that's true, mm-hmm. right? And I think the problem is that like a mid-budget movie can't really deliver on the thrills to the extent that I think you're looking for from the premise of Adam Driver fights dinosaurs. You know what I mean? Like, j- just in terms of the budget and production values, it's, it's it feels like there's, yeah, there's a handful of, you know, action scenes, but it just... When you think of Adam Driver fights dinosaurs, there's a lot of great potential, but instead it ends up feeling, you know, pretty, um, pretty, pretty Spartan in terms of its production. And, uh, did you just use a whole bunch of sentences to say this movie is mid? <laughs> That's right. But I don't like that phrase. Jeff. The very, de- yeah, yeah, no like that phrase. the yeah, very definition old. of mid though. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, think it, I think it's also quite dismissive. You know, I don't, I don't like yeah. it on moral grounds as well. It's but... just not clear enough. Yes. It's not. Yeah. It's a dumb yeah. phrase. I don't, don't get me phrase. wrong. I'm not yeah. advocating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hate the but, phrase. But yes. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, this, this movie got really badly reviewed when it came out. Um, I think it's actually better than a, a lot of the reviews because, because of how good Adam Driver is. And, you know, the girl who's in the movie is also pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. She delivers a fine performance. The trailer um, was fun. Like that, that always got a reaction from audiences and people were eager to see more Adam Driver. So, Ariana yeah. Gleen, uh, Greenblatt is the, uh, is the woman who plays, the girl who plays Koa in, in the movie. Um, and it's like a brisk 90, right? It's a brisk 90. It's a brisk night. So are you but saying... But it feels, it feels more than 90, Jeff. Oh, that's, that's my <laughs> so point. are you yeah. saying watch it or don't watch it? I think if you want to see Adam Driver act his heart out, 
you should watch it. But overall, I can't really recommend. You know, so a lot of people describe this as schlock. I've seen people describe this as schlock. That's, if it you, sounds so, like schlock. So if you're yeah. looking for schlock, which some people are, I think you'll enjoy the movie. You know. But also, if you want to see Adam Driver give his all, uh, the first few seasons of Girls are still on. Uh, there Max. you go. Marriage yeah. Story is right there. Yeah. Marriage, Marriage Story is right there. Right there. Right there. Yeah. So I can't say I recommend it. Jeff, but it—that's the thing—is like it's not terrible. Like everyone's saying this movie's terrible, it's not terrible. I think it's better than terrible, but it's not good. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if only there's some word to use to describe between good <laughs> and bad, but I can't think of one. Yeah, like halfway um, between. It's halfway. It's like yeah. so, so. right halfway between those yeah, two. Yeah, like a medium amount. A medium, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Is mode the word I'm thinking? Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, but yeah, that's sixty-five. It's streaming right now on Netflix, and I can't quite recommend it, but it's not terrible. All right, Devinder Hardwar, what have you been watching this week? Real quick, I've just been watching the first few episodes of What We Do in the Shadows, uh, season four, I believe it's on now, and uh, it's it's still good. What, what can I say about the show? It is, <laughs> it is, um, it's shocking that they expanded so much on the concept of the original film, and it continues to be very good. Maybe I'm just a huge Matt Berry like stand like maybe maybe i will just watch anything he's in because i love him so much uh his character laszlo continues to be fun they they are changing things up which i will not spoil here uh but things around uh the familiar around guillermo i think is uh is getting really really interesting and uh i just keep watching this show to see how many blade references they can keep plugging in there because i know there are more coming and in this season, perhaps many, many more. We'll see. Uh, it continues to be a lot of fun. And uh, it, it's really enjoyable in the sort of like hangout show respect. You know, like even if not much happens in an episode, I really like hanging out with this crew of misfits, even though they, they, they their whole thing is they just murder people. But they're so fun to be with, right? You're That's like their well, whole thing is their they whole murder, thing. They kill they people. Just, yep. You know, uh, Guillermo, we love him. He's a lovable murderer. <laughs> murder assistant but he's lovable and he's cute so we like him um the, the way this show balances all that stuff i think is a lot of fun too so yeah it's it's still very good and if for some reason you have not been watching what we do in the shadows it's uh it's up now it's on hulu yeah uh forget about the blade references Devendra. i am looking for the oceans 12 references in what we do in the shadows you know? why oceans That's... 12 oh because they they had a whole I think um, there's a character, I, th- I think it's season two and three, that was like, yes, this is the yes. largest collection of Ocean's 12 memorabilia that it's ever yes. known to men. I mean, um, yes, underrated, that was always good. Underrated movie, guys. Underrated movie. Putting that out there. Ocean's I 12. I mean, okay. uh, listen, I was I was there the summer that movie came out. Uh, that soundtrack plays on a loop in my head. Uh, the laser dance sequence. Perfection. So, Excellent. Yeah. We should review that. Sometime. Yes, we probably will have to yes. sometime next year. Um, that's what we do in the Shadows Season 4. <laughs> uh, it's available right now on Hulu. Jeff Kanata, you have watched something this week that I, is hi- I am also highly interested in and also watched. And which what I also is, need to see. What is it. that yeah. show? Well, it's the new uh, it's the new HBO Max or Max, the one to watch for HBO show. Uh, I don't know what to call it anymore. It's... My son, by the way, uh, looked at the TV and was like, Dad, what's Max? And I was like, ah, son, we don't have <laughs> enough time to get into it. <laughs> we don't have enough time. And um, to be there during the streaming wars. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down by the fire. I'll weave you a tale. Um, what if I told you? What if you told me there was a show that starred Timothy Oliphant, Claire Danes, <laughs> 
CCH Pounder, I'd say, stop, I'm already watching it. <laughs> you had me at all those three people. You had me at the, the phrase CCH. Yeah. CCH Pounder, you baby. You had me at CCH. I love her so much. I love her so much. Uh, you know, come for the Timothy Oliphant, Claire Danes, and CCH Pounder. Stay for the exasperated Jeff Ga- Jim Gaffigan and Zazie Beats. Yeah. I love Zazie Beats. She's amazing. Um, this is a show called Full Circle. And how do we talk about it, Dave, without talking about the premise of this show? Which yeah, let's, is let's let's not talk. Do you want to very, talk about the premise? You know, I, I don't. There's I don't, a trailer don't out like, there. People are aware of some. Devinder, you've seen the trailer. What is your? I have under- seen the trailer because I am now aware that's the only goddamn show I've ever seen that features Guyanese characters. That's right. And people in Guyana. CCH Pounder is a Guyanese actress. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Devinder, you are Guyanese. Is that correct? I, am, I right. was born in Guyana. Yeah, like miles away from the rainforest. So. Yeah, Georgetown, Georgetown, the capital of Ghana, is featured in the movie, yes. in the show. I saw circle. that in the trailer, and I was yeah. sending it to my family. I was like, it's happening, I so guess, wh- is finally. Yeah. So, so here, Jeff, I'm going to ask Devinder what his understanding of the plot is. All right. And, you know, because he's, uh-huh, see, he's uh-huh. seen the trailer, and you have not seen the episode. So, Devinder, what is your understanding of what the plot of it my is? My understanding is that um, and family, maybe uh, was up to some shenanigans <laughs> in Guyana. <laughs> Because, listen, what we know Whoa. in the Caribbean is shenanigans from white people. So I'm like, oh, is this is this it? Wow. Is Steven Soderbergh going to be doing some sort of like a post-colonial uh, look at Guyana? That's uh, To me, that was interesting. I, yeah. I think Devinder might know more about the plot than you and me, Jeff. Depending I, on... <laughs> I actually think that he may have just spoiled the whole show for us. I'm sorry. Potentially. Sorry. It's yeah. okay, but that's from... That is from the trailer, apparently. Not, none yeah. of that is in the first two episodes. <laughs> this so is what I, I have been waiting for somebody to like do a thing about the Caribbean, you know? So yeah. if it takes Steven Soderbergh to do a Timothy Oliphant, Claire Danes show that somehow mentions Guyana, I'll, I'll take it for now. Well, it is, the first two episodes are base, uh, basically unfold like a thriller, right? Yes, and, 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 and I would say 90% of the first episode is, uh, you have no goddamn clue what's going on. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yes. Um, and, and I would actually argue, if you want to not be spoiled, you can still watch the first episode and not have any idea what's going on based on Devinger's description. Um, yeah. But uh, this show is awesome, in my opinion. Um, I think it is, it's basically Steven Soderbergh directing a thriller with some of the best actors alive today. And sometimes a show lives up to the promise of what its premise is. And in my opinion, this is one of those times. Jeff Canada, what did you think? I don't think I'm as high on it as you. I am hooked on it. Uh, I will watch more. Um, I would like to talk in some specifics. So any folks that don't want to hear anything about it, perhaps skip forward a little bit because I would like to talk to you in some specifics about the first two episodes and what we learned to be true. So... Here's your warning, folks. If you don't want to hear anything about it, I, I would say this is a show worth watching. Uh, I don't, I'm not quite as high on it as Dave right now, but you know, without any spoilers, I think check it out. Okay. Spoilers. Or not really spoilers, but... Spoilers for the first two episodes. Yeah, coherent <laughs> plot details. <laughs> uh, a lot of... The, so much of what happens in the first two episodes is wildly improbable to me. Uh, It requires such specific (laughs) (laughs) 
such specific turns of fate mm -hmm. because there are character now okay so we're, we're I'm, I'm gonna be able to talk a little bit freely i'm not gonna spoil big things but there you know there is a case of a mistaken identity that happens only because there is a character who is obsessed with another character to the point of acting like like he's in a completely different show like there's a show about this character who's obsessed with another character and does bizarre things but that's just a side bit that gets us to a really convenient mistaken identity thing mm -hmm. which i think as a premise for a show the idea of a a very specific kidnapping happening where the kidnappers think they got the right guy but the people they are blackmailing understand that they did not get the right guy is a fascinating premise fascinating but to get there the show has to do such gymnastics mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that i i was like it's strange credulity it is it is and then but that's not even like there's another <laughs> that's layer that's not even on the only coincidence in that exactly. situation yeah exactly yeah. there are such huge coincidences and then you have this other layer of like not only did they not kidnap the right guy but the guy that they think they killed another group of people substituted out it's like it has got so much going on that is so like each one of those things would require an entire movie to set it up and in this first two episodes it's like you just got to go with us here. Some weird shit happened, you know? And I'm not in love with Soderbergh's directing choices in a lot of this. Like, there are shots that are clearly shot on the iPhone, right? Dave? I don't, I don't know if they're shot on the iPhone. Dude, there's a, not... there's, a, there's a dolly move where I'm like, was this the only take they could use? Like, somebody is bumping the camera. I like, will say, a lot of the uh, show hmm. is shot in... Like from low angle with uh, handheld shaky cam style, like that's. But it's that's, not even like it's not even like traditional shaky cam. It's just like sloppy, in, in my opinion. It look that's how it looks, in my opinion. It, it is not a traditional sort of shaky cam look. It looks like it's just sloppy to me. Um, that said, there are amazing actors in this. I, that I, I, I would agree. It, lo it looks like kind of the camera person didn't plan out what their movements were going to be. That's what I would right. describe it as, right? Yes. Which is like theoretically intentional, but yeah. I would uh, assume it is intentional. I, I'm assume, yeah. I assume it is supposed to look improvisational in, in, in a way. And yeah. it's very yeah. in line with Soderbergh's recent work, which is all sort of like, hey, I didn't really even, like all the planning that I did for this is to make it look like I did no planning for this, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. And there's also like a, a layer of magic that's, that I don't quite get. <laughs> um, so I am very uncertain about this still after two episodes. Uh, I'm, I'm hooked in the sense that I, I want to find out. But I, I am definitely in the camp that this, this could really let me down. I think, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think this has a potential yeah. of being very disappointing for anybody that invests time in it. Uh, but that said, it also has the potential of being a home run. So I, I, I am... I am cautiously optimistic about the show, but I'm certainly not where you are, which you think it's genius. I, I think he's been hit or miss lately, to be honest. Like there's some stuff I, I love from Soderbergh lately, but there's also been some stuff that I completely just did not get at all. So 
We'll see. You know why I'm watching this. I love the idea of, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love the idea of, hey, you're trying to do a job and then there's like compounding catastrophes on top of it, you know? Uh, I don't know why that resonates with me. Yeah. But yeah, I think, <laughs> but I think, but I think this is, this is it. It's like, oh, you're, these people are trying to accomplish a thing and then this goes wrong and this goes wrong and this goes wrong, you know, like, and it just, it, it's, it's so stressful <laughs> to watch. Dude, the, That's every the, Coen Brothers yeah. movie, too. The wonderful, yeah, exactly. yeah. the wonderful dilemma which I've literally never seen before. All the movies about kidnappings and, and ransoms. Right. And yes. the, I've yeah. never seen the, we know our son is safe, but yeah. we know some other stranger is not safe. Right. Mm. What do we do? Right. Yeah. Which is a yeah. brilliant hook, but it's also like what we know about that stranger is that he's kind of terrible too. <laughs> so I don't, yeah, I don't it's, understand. It's, I don't know where we're headed. You know, it's interesting. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. Um, and you know, to your point, Devendra, it does um, offer a look at uh, the the Guyanese community. Now, you know, I, I don't know to what extent some of these issues that are brought up are actually re- re- reflect reality, but I do know that um, a lot of people are brought to the United States, um, and basically you know it costs them a lot of money to bring them to the united states and they need to work off their debt uh and this yep. is not just with guyanese people but it's with like all kinds of different immigrant groups and this show does kind of at least in the first two episodes mm-hmm. uh w- mention that as a phenomenon so it's I, it's I, a very caribbean thing too like a lot of people come to new york specifically which is why i'm like okay uh, New York is actually like the second largest population of Guyanese people outside of the actual country. So I, I would assume Steven Soderbergh like maybe has some actual encounters with guy with the community. So to me, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I uh, so that's full circle. It's streaming right now on Max. We've just talked about the first couple episodes and uh, there are going to be six episodes total and the uh, episodes will air. Uh, it's going to be two episodes released every Thursday. Uh, so that's full circle, season one, probably the only season is my guess gonna is yeah, it, right now it, next. it really is wild that we're in this place now where we just get six hour long movies. That's what mm-hmm. this is. This isn't it isn't a TV show at all. It's a six hour movie. Yeah. It's it's but, wild. But what a blessing! What a blessing! Yeah, it's so cool. That we can I get like a it. Steven Soderbergh six hour long movie uh, in our homes. So uh, okay, I want to talk about the Jewel Thief on Hulu, and if you. If that sounds familiar, it's because that's the movie that John Malkovich was in in the movie Being John Malkovich. No, that's that's a deep cut for you guys. Um, but uh, yeah, The Jewel Thief on Hulu. This is a movie I don't think anyone is talking about. Mm-hmm. It is a documentary about a real-life thief and uh, who has stolen extremely high-end things, uh, including jewels. And you you know right up top that like the, the thief is an interviewee, you know, like he's one of the people who's being interviewed for the movie. I don't know about you guys, but I'm always curious when I watch movies like Ocean's Eleven or The Thomas Crown Affair or uh, even like assassin movies like Leon the Profession, like, you know, these people who like are the subjects of many movies, thieves, assassins, whatever, like, what are, do those people actually have, are they, do those people actually exist in the real world? And what are their lives like? If they actually exist in the real, do they stay at the Continental? <laughs> yeah, do they stay at the Continental? <laughs> but like, okay, okay, like, you know, example Heat. You know, the the characters in Heat. It's like those people have probably taken down massive scores, right? Why do they still need to rob things? 
right? Like, what, what, what is it for economic need? Do they spend, do they empty out their savings accounts? Like, what is going on? They don't have financial with- advisors. They have not invested <laughs> their money properly. You know, it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. So that's what's so great about, this is the first, uh, like, documentary that I've seen that actually documents the methods and life of an actual high-end thief. And I found it to be completely fascinating, guys. Um, the One of the heists that this guy pulls, uh, and I thought you guys would appreciate this. Okay, so this guy is from Canada, and he pulled this heist on a, uh, on a CI, CBIC, which is like one of the Canadian banks, like uh, on a branch of that bank. And the movie tells you how he accomplished it. He just it's asked just, politely if he could have all the money and they're okay, in Canada, well, so they just gave it to I'm him. Gonna, I'm going to tell you what this happens in the first like third of the movie, so I'm just going to tell you what happens. Okay, so, uh, but I just thought it was really fascinating. Is basically, um, he uh, he knew that the bank was being constructed, right? So he bought a hard hat and a safety vest and infiltrated the bank's construction site and then placed devices and made modifications to the entire site. That would allow him to do the heist later. That's cool. Um, and then he rented an apartment across the street a year before the opening of the bank. It's very just sat there, yeah, yeah, very so just sat there watching for a year. Like, think about the will it takes to just sit in a and just monitor the goings on of this bank for a year. Um, and it was all basically leading up to opening day, right? So opening day of the bank. He's not even going into the bank, guys. He's not even going in when there's people working there. He knows that there's a bay of like, I don't know, six, seven, eight ATM machines out front. And he was able, the opening night, they stock up every single one of those machines with with hundreds of thousands of dollars. Because when you go into a bank, you need it to be, the Mm -hmm. ATM needs to have cash. And opening night, before grand opening, he infiltrates the bank opens up every single one of the ATM machines, empties out all the cash trays. He makes it out with like a million dollars. Um, and I was like, this is just incredible. Even the, the police that are trying to catch him, they call him a genius because they're like, this is so ingenious how he's able to do this. He's able, he knows like what the movements of people are inside the bank because he has cameras and listening devices that he has put into the walls because he was part of the construction of the bank. It really reminded me of Inside Man. It's honestly. very Inside Man. Yeah. yeah. We're like, you know, in Inside Man, I'm mm-hmm. not even going to reveal what happens, but like suffice to say, the construction of the bank is a factor. In how I, that I think this is the sequel to Inside Man, to be honest. It's a real life Inside yeah. Man. Like it's a, it shows yeah. that that is a real thing that can actually happen. Huh. Um, so and Maybe he just watched Inside Man. I was like, I yeah, can do exactly. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can do that. Uh, but I thought it, it was, it's just, it's just fascinating. Not because the document, like the documentary is very competent. It's really solid documentary. Um, so it's not like, oh, this is an incredibly well put together documentary, but it's just more like, it's so rare to get a look into the life of that kind of person, in my opinion. Um, and this is a, this is a movie that provides that. So, uh, I got to recommend it. If you if you've ever wa- watched like Ocean's Eleven and wonder what's, what's Danny Ocean's, what's Danny Ocean doing when he's not heisting, you know, like what's his life, like, the, what his life is like when he's not doing that stuff. I'd highly recommend the jewel thief, which is streaming right now on Hulu. So that's something else I've been watching. Let's take a break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more right after this. It's time for me to tell you about our sponsor, Factor. And let me tell you something that is absolutely 100% true. Two minutes ago, I just finished eating a Factor meal for lunch. 
I'm, it's just a weird coincidence. Do you know why I just ate a factor meal for lunch? It's because I have a very busy day. I need to record the ads for the film cast. I need to record an After Dark for the film cast. I got lots of work to do. I'm working on an audiobook. I got all kinds of things on my plate. So you know what is not on my plate? Time to put things on my plate. That's why Factor is such a big part of my life. I'm too busy with plans to cook, but I wanna make sure that I'm eating well. I can keep my energy up with effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers. Do you know the one I just ate? The one I just finished eating not two minutes ago? I can still feel it in my mouth. The delicious flavors are lingering. It was garlic chicken and green beans. I had some delicious garlic chicken, a, a, a lovely breast of chicken sitting in some garlic mashed potatoes with green beans that were very, very good. I thoroughly enjoyed the meal and it was great because it's ready in two minutes. And I've got portion control. I keep close to my wellness goals. My wife is the one who introduced me to Factor, but now I find it essential just to have there waiting for me every single week so I don't have to worry about skipping a lunch or not having time to make myself a lunch. And there's so much variety, flavor-packed options on the menu each week from keto to calorie smart, vegan and veggie and protein plus, prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. Each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long while meeting your goals. Don't take my word for it. Head over to factormeals.com slash filmcast50 and use code filmcast50 to get 50% off. That's code filmcast, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-5-0 at factormeals.com slash filmcast50 to get 50% off. Wow. All right, Devendra and Jeff, you both have watched some new Bluey episodes. Can you tell me mm -hmm. what the Bluey episode drop schedule is like? Because I've seen I this, like I don't even some know. new Bluey episodes. Yeah, unpredictable. Yeah. They, yeah, they, unpredictable. How does it work? How, tell me how it works. Yeah. I mean, who knows? They, we don't know. It's, this it's is ridiculous. Still, <laughs> yeah. Still part of season two, I guess. Season three. Oh, excuse me, season three. Yeah. The, yes. So it, it, these are just 10 episodes that came to Disney Plus. Now, this is an Australian show. Yes. So they premiere in Australia. They're funded in part by the Australian government. And they, they premiere in Australia. So these have been available to, you know, Australians for a while now. They've a lot of them have been on TikTok if you if yeah. you scroll through things. Yeah. My kids were like, I saw this one. Yeah. Our nanny no showed us. I'm like, what? Um, <laughs> but uh for, if you, you know, if you only watch Bluey on Disney Plus, like old man Kanata over here, um, then uh, they're they're brand new. And again, usually many more episodes drop. So the, the mm -hmm. idea that they just dropped 10 is weird. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what Disney Plus's plan is here. I but. think that was the part two. I'm looking at like the, the Wikipedia, right? And it seems like we typically get New Bluey after the last episode of the drop airs in uh, in Australia. So yeah. the last one aired on June 23rd. So actually, no, that was last year. Yeah. It's 2022. It's, so I don't know. I it's don't, weird. Nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. Yeah. And the announcement that they were happening was really recent. So it's not like mm -hmm. there's been a lot of lead up to this. I don't know what the deal is with rights. I don't know anything about it. I just know I was Good. thrilled to get new Bluey episodes. Um, and they are unbelievably good. Mm -hmm. it, it is, it's so incredible to me that the show keeps hitting home runs 
over and over and over again. And at, the, at a certain point you go like, well, they're going to run out of ideas or they can't keep up this level of quality. And yet new ones drop and you go, well, now these are my favorite ones. It's like, I've cried three or four times in this, and just in these 10 episodes, there's so much beauty and wholesomeness. There's an episode called Puppets that like uses, like has a meta moment that mm -hmm. is just incredible. Um, there is, uh, you know, one of the things that's so magical about Bluey is that it, it tells stories that are meaningful for adults, right? It, it mm -hmm. is a kid's show, but in representing the adults, it shows, it, it, it takes into account what it is like to be a parent in, in, in a way that I don't think many kids shows do. Many, many kids shows, you know, if they're talking from the point of view of the kids, parents are weird and hard to understand, you know? Right. But this yeah. show, it really sympathizes with the parents. And there's even a moment, there's an episode called Onesies this season where we're introduced for the first time to Chili, who's the mom, the, the matriarch of the family, uh, her sister. We've never met her sister, sister. Brandy before, who evidently is unable to have kids. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, I was bawling at the end. It's such a beautiful, beautiful episode. And I mean, the show is like, it just never ceases to touch on these beautiful things of humanity. And it's a, it's wholesome. It's, it's lovely. It's heartfelt. And it's always has this, this, lifeblood of positivity that runs through it. It's unbelievable that they can still keep making these at such high quality. I love them. Yeah. All, all written, or at least mostly written by Joe Brum. Sometimes he has uh, some writing help, but like series creator, just it's astounding like that they can keep this up. It helps that the, the episodes are like easy, quick, like quick and the quick things to jump into. They don't have to like uh, fill them up. Like I think uh, sitcoms or kids shows used to have to do things. It's more reminiscent of when, like, was it Rugrats or other shows where, like, you would usually get two stories per episode, mm -hmm. you know, and that that kind of helped to focus some things. Yeah, it's good. I, I have not seen all the new ones yet because my daughter just kind of I'm watching them with her and she like is into Bluey and then into other things. And we keep jumping back and forth, but it's still good. It's still incredible. Glad to hear you both are enjoying it. That's you blue. should watch some, Dave. Yeah, watch I have, so good. I've been watching them with my nephew. Um, oh, that's he, 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 it's more like he, um, he kind of has favorite. He's first of all, he's not really old enough to to truly understand what's going on. Do you know sure, what I mean? Sure, sure. Um, I'm looking forward to when he turns, you know, four. I think is when he'll really start to to grasp it. But yeah, sure. he has like favorite ones that he just goes back to again and again. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. so when we watch a bluey it's usually one he's seen 50 times already yeah. um but hopefully that'll change in the future anyway bluey is available right now on disney plus and that's something davindra and jeff have both been watching jeff canada you also had a chance to check out silo on apple tv plus did you know yeah, i think davindra you've been recommending this yes. show for a while yeah. right yep i finally because it's from the showrunner of justified so i think it has similar vibes yeah uh, yeah one of my favorite shows of all time yep. and yep. uh i read wool the first book of wool way back i barely remember it to be honest yeah. with you but that was like a, one of the first ebook success stories like yeah. over a decade ago self-published yeah. yep mm -hmm. um and uh, this is based on that i think it is actually adapted for tv by the writer of the novel if i'm not mistaken um and uh i have only watched the first episode 10 are available on on apple tv plus right now so you know i'm just just starting my journey but i gotta say it's a fantastic first episode uh really really excellent and a great performances. It's got a wonderful hook. It's such a good pilot. Um, I don't know if there's even 
I don't even know that's an applicable yeah. term anymore with streaming. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's an incredible pilot too because Rebecca Ferguson is the ostensible star of this series. She does not show up until the last like two minutes. Yeah. Of the yeah. first episode, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, but Rashida Jones does a lot of the heavy lifting in this in the so first good. episode, and yeah. she's fantastic. It's it's an awesome you know post apocalyptic sci fi show, but really grounded in very human moments. You know, it's just it's it's really lovely. I think the it feels very high budget, like the the, the sets. The the idea is that these people living in this silo that where they can't leave it, and uh, so you know it requires uh, some visual effects and some yeah. great uh, set design and stuff to to sell that idea. And I think it, the world building, such as it is in that first episode, is is really well done. I'm in, man. I I, I put off watching this for, for too long, and uh, I'm excited to see how where the series mm -hmm. goes did you have you watched all 10 davindra i'm about halfway through right now um just because i can kind of tell where the show was going but i will say watch on your projector because every yeah, episode yeah. is like astoundingly gorgeous yeah i i did that for episode one and i plan to continue i have finished the first season oh cool um, and i uh I, I don't have as positive thoughts as as davindra does unfortunately oh no i i thought the first half of the season was actually very strong um and the second half it really does feel like they're uh, treading water a bit. Uh, mm, you know, my mm -hmm. my wife read the book. Uh, we covered it on Decoding TV, and in, in her opinion, she was she was disappointed at how much book plot they got through in season one. Uh, I think she's hoping that they would get through more book plot. And um, oh, uh, so, oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. So I'll be curious to see uh, what you think as someone who knows about the book. But um, certainly, the first few episodes are really, really strong, and uh, and there's some amazing actors that you can see on the poster. Uh, mm -hmm. in this show. So, uh, and, and by the way, I think my opinion on this is, uh, is relatively in the minority. I think a lot of people really like this show all the way through. So, uh, but I, I was sad to not love it as much as a lot of other people. Anyway, um, that is silo season one is streaming right now on Apple TV plus. All right, folks, let's, uh, talk about a few weekly plugs. Weekly plugs, a part of show each week where we plug something else we've been made, we've been making. Uh, well, I at the end of many of these episodes, I mentioned that Kurt Mega uh, is one of the folks that helps us out with video work. John Barry being the other person, and uh, I had a chance to interview Kurt because Kurt is primarily known in Hollywood as an actor. He's appeared on uh, over a dozen TV shows, and mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to ask him what is it like uh, down in Hollywood right now with SAG going on strike. Uh, and so we talked at length about that uh, for my newsletter that is free. You should subscribe to because it's completely free. Decoding I, everything. I hope you asked Dave why he uh, what it's like to live with the coolest name ever. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Just, it's it's yeah. a very cool name. Um, yeah, we talked about uh, what it's like for actors down there right now at decodingeverything.com. And the, the sense that I get is... Um, Actors are really ready to go on strike. You know, like mm. everyone is ready to rear, rearing to go and they're ready to um, wait this thing out for as long as it's going to take uh, for them to get a contract that they feel is fair. So 
Yeah. yeah. If there's one thing actors know how to do, it's not work. <laughs> it's, it's not what that's exactly what he said. But it's I don't like, mean act, oh, actors are extremely familiar with how to not work. But not because they're lazy. Not in a lazy way, because they're they're used to needing to survive with other means, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so and so our conversation really reflected that. Anyway, I was really happy uh, the, with how the chat turned out. Yeah, go ahead. The Jeff. joke I used to make was, oh good, a strike. Now when I don't get hired for acting work, it's my decision. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, check it out at decodingeverything.com. I was happy with how the chat turned out and grateful to Kurt for sharing his story with me. Uh, Devinder Hardware, hit us up with your weekly plug. Sure. On the last uh, episode of the Engadget podcast, we talked about the run-up to Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard. Unfortunately, like that deal closed on Friday and uh, the episode, all the work was, was done there before. <laughs> but we, we we talked about the FTC uh, losing uh, its injunction bid and kind of like the run-up to this whole deal getting to to be finished. And uh, we talked with Jordan Miner from PC Mag, uh, who is, uh, you know, he's a video game reporter. It's a cool dude. He also wrote a book called uh, Game of the Year, Video Game of the Year. I uh, submitted a blurb for that one, too. So you can hear my thoughts or read my thoughts about Chrono Trigger and that. He's a really cool guest. So go check out that episode of the Engadget Podcast. Yes. Uh, hoping to get Jordan on the podcast this summer as well. Super so we'll cool. See. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, can, and also, by the way, um, uh, don't you hate it when you, you, know, you, you publish yeah. a podcast you and all the news the work? breaks right after that? Uh, Jeff, I think you've experienced this before on DLC, uh-huh. as well, right? It's always that's kind of our that's kind of our thing. It's like <laughs> what we're known for. Uh, although well, this week, you, I gotta yeah. say, news broke Your on timing Sunday. Works out, yes. which never yeah. happens. Yes. The, yes. the Sony uh, Sony no. um, uh, signing the deal for ten years of Call of Duty happened Sunday. They announced it on Sunday. It never happens. Yeah. We're like, what? What kind of crazy world is this? Where we actually get to report on the timely thing once sony saw the deal is probably going to close they're like we better close this now better, before yeah. but also uh, <laughs> announce it at a time when nobody will be paying attention yes yes you know, like never show weakness <laughs> never show yeah. weakness out there. exactly yeah um jeff canada your weekly plug well do you like me <laughs> Pro- probably not let's be honest that's probably the name of the patreon please like me yeah <laughs> I'm guessing that's a strong opening. Strong opening. Yeah, it's a real maybe. Uh, Do you like limericks? Uh, Probably stronger. Did you know that I make limericks? Maybe you do. I can make one for you or your loved one or really anybody. Hey, a pet? I'll give a limerick to a pet. I don't care. All you got to do is go to cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. I'll write you a limerick. I'll deliver it with a plum. Go check it out. Cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. Patreon.com slash film podcast is where you can support this show. Uh, we You can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks there. As I mentioned, we've been reviewing movies like Extraction 2 and Asteroid City, as well as uh, The Bear Season 2 over there on the After Darks. Uh, but we never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes them financial hardship. You can always support us for free. Share about our reels over on the Instagram. Instagram.com slash thefilmcastpod. Or we're also on Threads at the Filmcast Pod as well, where you can share our videos there. Help, help to spread the word, let people know about the show, or leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. All right. All that said, let's get to our review of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Our lives are the sum of our choices. cannot escape the past. Ethan, this mission of yours is gonna cost you dearly. 
world is changing. Truth is vanishing. War is coming. It's been a long time, friend. You've no idea the power I represent. Welcome to the film cast review of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Or should I say Mission colon Impossible dash, dash. Dead Reckoning second colon Part 1? <laughs> question mark exclamation. <laughs> I'm going to read the plot summary Ellipses. of this movie. <laughs> we'll just call it Dead Reckoning from this point forward. Yes. Um, I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Ethan Hunt and his IMF team must track down a dangerous weapon before it falls into the wrong hands. End quote. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that was the plot summary of literally every single other one of the Mission Impossible. Movies. I re I really hope that Dead Reckoning Part Two has a subtitle, so it's Mission Impossible <laughs> colon Dead Reckoning Part Two yeah. colon Still Reckoning or something. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, that'd indeed, be amazing. Um, now I do want to call out that in this early part of the review, the non-spoiler part, we are going to talk about the premise of the movie. That premise is not given away in any of the trailers. I know because I've watched every single one of them after I got home from the theater. Good trailers. Um, good trailers. Yeah. Great trailers, but they don't give away anything about the plot. So we yeah. are going to talk about the plot, but we weren't we are not going to give away what we consider to be spoilers until we say so. And if you're listening to the podcast, you hear the spoiler member. But just you have been warned. Okay. Uh, all that said, I think all of us had a blast with Mission Impossible Fallout. Is that accurate to say, sure. right, guys? Yes. Sure. We all love that movie. Uh, a great time, amazing action set pieces, great villains, uh, just just a, a wonderful time at the cinema. So yeah. Superman versus Ethan Hunt. What what more can you want? What you more know? could you want in a movie? Uh, spectacular movie. I saw that movie five times in theaters <laughs> and listened to about six plus hours worth of interviews with Christopher McQuarrie talking about the making of that movie. So I was like obsessed with that movie. So I was ex very excited about Dead Reckoning Part 1 coming out. This was your movie that you wanted to stay alive long enough to see, Dave. That's I right. Recall. I was like, if I wanted to, like the thing, in my darkest hour during COVID, it's like, I want to stay alive long enough to see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Part now 2 the, can go fuck itself. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is out in theaters as we speak. Uh, it's doing okay. It's, you know, they're, they're, as we're recording this, we are now aware that uh, this is probably not going to be a Top Gun Maverick of this summer, but we'll see. Maybe it'll have legs. Doing okay. All that said, Devinder Hardwar, I'm so curious. You know, uh, mm -hmm. as another hardcore Mission Impossible fan such as myself, what did you think of Dead Reckoning Part 1? You know what? I had a ton of fun with it. I think it is a great entry in the Mission Impossible franchise, but I think it's also the weakest of the Macquarie movies. And that that's basically where I'm coming down with it. Um... You know, we're so used to like a big opening set pieces and things with these movies. This one doesn't quite have that. I think it's very talky and kind of takes a while to get into things uh, while it sets up new characters and new plot lines and whatnot. I think the set pieces are great as, you know, as always. I love the team and the action we do get here is astounding. Um, you know, when the motorcycle jump happened, I was in a mostly full theater at like, you know, 11 p.m. and people just started clapping. So this this franchise is delivering on yeah. what I think we want and the sort of like cinematic experience I want people to have. Um, I love all the new characters. It's nice to see Shea Wiggum in here too. And uh, listen, Haley Atwell, I love her being in this too. Like I, I had so much fun with it. I just feel like 
I didn't feel this way with Rogue Nation. Didn't feel this way with Fallout. This one feels over long. It feels like it, it overextends. It overdoes its welcome, you know, uh, for a bit. And I think Ethan Hunt has some issues with women. <laughs> and we will talk about that in spoilers. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. I am seething with rage right now. <laughs> at, some of the things, at some of the things that have happened. And yes. Devendra, for once in a very long time, I think I am in complete agreement with Perfect. you. Perfect. You know, so uh-huh. can't wait to get to it. Jeff, can uh, hit us up with your thoughts on Dead Reckoning Part 1? Well, Dave, I guess you could say... My thoughts about Dead Reckoning Part 1 are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Hit us, Jeff. Yet again, Macquarie constructs scenes where crews leaps, tumbles, and ducks. (laughs) It's so entertaining, there's no use explaining. In five seconds, this plot (laughs) (laughs) self-destructs. Hold on, Jeff. What was the second line of that limerick? Scenes where crooms leaps, tumbles, and ducks. Leaps, tumbles, and ducks. Okay, got it. Got it. It's pretty good. I didn't I know those actually thought st- things. Those are verbs, Dave. I, I, I didn't know if it was like ducks, like D U C T S, but that doesn't no, make any no, sense. No. Yeah, I got it. Okay, cool. No ducks in this movie. Yeah, no, no ducks in this no, movie. No, none of that either. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's weird, you could just pull that out of nowhere. Yeah, now. that's wow. that's weird, Jeff. Okay, wow. go ahead. Uh, anyway. Um, I, the next uh, villain I'm, of Mission Impossible. I <laughs> mostly agree, although I think I had more fun than you guys did, perhaps. I had fun. I had I, fun. I, I had will, a blast. Yeah. I think this is one of the most fun movies of the summer. Um, I had a total blast with it and also can think that this movie ha- is fraught with problems mm-hmm. and has all kinds of... I mean, the MacGuffin in this movie could not be more MacGuffin-y. Um, and I really want to... <laughs> drill down on that during spoilers about you know how i feel about that yeah but let's do it. um let's do it. yeah. it's very mcguffin-y it, 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 structurally the movie's weird and i think this is the first time in the macquarie era where my favorite scene or scenes in this film are not the big action set piece scenes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there are a few great action set piece scenes so don't get me wrong like there's but there is a scene that takes place in an airport that is just perfectly executed tension yeah. and spinning of plates in different areas that I found to be so fun and edge of my seat. And it didn't have anything to do with Tom Cruise almost dying. You know, it, it harkens back to the TV show, like when yes. the teams are on big, crazy missions. Yeah. Yeah. I will also say I loved the score for this movie. I thought the, the mm-hmm. music did so much heavy lifting in this movie, much, much more so than the previous installments, the recent previous installments. And I loved it. Very, very operatic score, very, very scored movie. It felt almost uh, classical in its use of, you know, like a, like a Hitchcockian, you know, use of music to, uh, to uh, set the, the tone and, and in- increase the tension. Uh, so I loved that. I would say the scores have always been good, but Lorne Balfe, who scored both Fallout and this film, has taken it up to the next level. And he did Rogue Nation too, didn't he? No, he didn't. Joe he Kramer didn't? did Rogue Nation. Joe, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, th- yeah th- this score is, I loved it. And I loved, mm-hmm. I mean, I saw this in IMAX uh, and the sound was enveloping. It was awesome. I was disappointed that there weren't any Fallout style, actual, real IMAX moments. Mm-hmm. But um you know, it's great. I, I have major issues with how this movie was marketed because 
I knew very, very little because of how I protect myself. And even the stuff that I knew, I was mad that I knew. Yeah. And having <laughs> and coming home, seeing this movie at a press screening very early and coming home and watching some of the, the marketing after that, I was really upset. I think it will be an actual detriment to how people interact with this movie because the there are reveals that happen that are 100% spoiled in the marketing yeah. that are genuinely built up as reveals and are very fun in the context of the movie. Some of my favorite moments in this movie are stuff that the movie does that is 100% ruined by the marketing, in my opinion. And even, you know, I definitely knew about the big motorcycle stunt. And I will say, one of the things I've loved before, you know, th this has been the pattern in the last few uh, installments where we've seen a lot of like behind the scenes showing Tom Cruise doing it stuff. And I think the one last time was him jumping out of the airplane with the mask on. And the one before that was hanging onto the airplane yeah, uh, yep, externally, yep. both of which are the beginnings of those movies. Right. The yeah. very, you know, the, the cold opens of those movies, which, well, the, you know, the, uh, fall, the jumping out of the plane is like a quarter of the way in. Isn't okay. Uh, it's like it's like literally in the first twenty minutes. To yeah, first twenty minutes. Yeah, not the first first thing. Yeah. yeah. The point I'm trying to make though is yeah. that yeah. I didn't feel like knowing that was coming right. ruined anything. Right. Whereas in this movie, the motorcycle jump is literally a surprise to the characters in this movie and is built up to is so late in the movie. It's like the big thing we lead up to in the movie, and I wish I didn't know it was coming. Like the. It Jeff, is a, you were the it, one sharing that video with me. I know you because I, I trusted. You chose that, to watch it. I trusted <laughs> it was going to be in line with right, right, the right. way it has been previously, where it's like, mm -hmm. this is the first thing, and there's a whole movie afterwards. Mm -hmm. Whereas this time, the movie builds up to it. It is a, we are swerved. Like, there's an entire plan of how something's going to happen, and then we have to divert to this stunt. And it's like, oh, I know. I'm sitting there in the audience going, I, I can just fall asleep for the next 10 minutes because I know where this is going. We keep seeing Tom Cruise like, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? It's like, I know what you're going to do because all the marketing has shown you. The poster shows me what you're going to do. This and is I, why you don't watch trailers, Jeff. Yeah. This is why I don't watch trailers. Yeah. And, and, and I, it b bothers me. Like, there's mm -hmm, a good mm -hmm. way to do it, which is the hanging off the end of the, the airplane thing, which is like literally the first five minutes of the movie. And then I have like a whole movie where I get to go, wow, that was an amazing stunt. Now we can settle into this movie. And then there's a bad way to do it, which in my opinion is this way, which is the whole movie leads up to this moment. And I know it's coming a mile away. So anyway, I, you know, that's my bugaboo. I understand. I have a hang up about that and it's not everybody's hang up, but I do think that that stole something from my experience of watching this movie. That said, I had a blast. I think there's so much. I did not feel, as you guys seem to, that it was overlong or overstuffed. I could have watched another hour of that. Like I, I just love yeah. being in that world. And as big of problems as I think the plot has, the you know, so much as there is a plot in this movie, the the mechanism of the the movie that gets you to each scene, you know, they're largely ignorable in these. Mission Impossible movies, just in general. Like, that's not what I'm coming to these movies for, is like, gee, what international crisis are they going to solve this time? Like, I don't care. It's, Why will the government disavow them again? Yeah, it, it, yeah like, yeah. It, that's not really what I care about. But this time, it is even more, 
I think mm-hmm. just throwaway than previously. And, and I, I, I do knock the movie a bit for that, but the scenes themselves, while I don't think all of them are equally as impressive, you know, there's a, there's an action sequence in a very narrow area that I just don't think works at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I had a blast and I would yep, totally yep. recommend this movie. I think go see it on a big screen, go see it in IMAX, go see it with great sound. And you'll, I had a great time. I suspect you'll have a great time too. I have to ask you this, Jeff, because we may never get this opportunity again. You talk about having that experience robbed from you, right? From watching the motorcycle in this movie. But months ago, months ago, you saw Tom Cruise jump off a motorcycle on a cliff. You were texting us about it. You were excited. You were, you had a sense of joy and anticipation (laughs) from seeing that early footage. Now, if you were completely unaware of that, you, that joy would be gone. Mm. It would just be moved over to yeah, seeing little, it in the movie. joy you experienced prior to now, Jeff. Yes. Huh? So anyway. Uh, he, I think that's a fair point to make, but I, I, I don't prioritize that. Like that joy is, is not diminished moving mm-hmm. that to after I've seen the movie. Because mm-hmm. that, you wouldn't have months to get that anticipation. But I already like, am different. anticipating this movie. Yeah. Like I'm anticipating yeah, yeah. the new Tom Cruise uh, crazy thing. Like sure, even if sure, I don't sure. know what it is, I know this movie is going to feature something. And if I see it in the context of this movie where I'm like, oh, he's riding around on that motorcycle. What's he going to do on that motorcycle? What's he going to do on that motorcycle? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That is way better because the joy of seeing this, the explanation of the stunt is not diminished watching it after the movie. The making of stuff is still as impressive as it will ever be after I've seen it in the movie. That's my position. I, I feel sympathy for Jeff, you know, that he feels like part of his experience is ruined. Um, at the same time, uh, and also, you know, I would argue that, I, I mean, my my argument would be like, one of the reasons you felt so cheated, Jeff, is because perhaps that moment is not as effective as it could be in the. I think it's film. really fast in um, the movie. Like it's and, a kind of a throwaway thing. Right, yeah. Right. And, and and I will also just say for the record, every Mission Impossible trailer has spoiled virtually every single set piece in every mm-hmm. Mission Impossible film. Mm-hmm. It did not build up quite. You know, it wasn't on the poster necessarily as it was on this one, but every Mission Impossible trailer, like. In the trailer for Mission Impossible One, the tra- literally the ending the shot of the train yeah. sequence is spoiled in the trailer. So it's the like aquarium yeah, is there. It has been with crashing. us for yeah. for many many years. Yeah. Um, you felt Doesn't it make more, it right. Yeah, you felt it more <laughs> acutely for this one, and so I I have sympathy. But it as it has always been, it is thus today. So, um, <laughs> I will share a few of my quick thoughts. Then that I, that I think we have a lot to discuss in spoilers. Okay. Um, I am really ambivalent and torn about this movie because mm. on the one hand. No one is making action film like action films of the scale and ambition that Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie are doing today, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just again, the motorcycle sequence, which is in the trailers and on the poster, there's a five minute making of feature. If you look at what they did to accomplish that one sequence, it's incredible. Like the mm-hmm. the months of planning it took for just that one stunt, um, and you really feel like Tom Cruise is willing to put himself on the line. He's willing to learn how to drive. Uh, cars like a stunt driver. He's willing to learn how to halo jump. He's willing to learn how to be in jets with high G forces and so on. Like uh, very few people are willing to put their body and their life and limb on the line in furtherance of the craft than Tom Cruise. Not only that, but Tom Cruise is fighting against the future. You know, uh, this is evident in Top Gun Maverick when he was fighting against the drone program. <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> that threatened to take over from manned pilots. This is, it's evident in this movie where I'm not going to really get into it, but suffice to say, thematically- it's evident in live, die, repeat? <laughs> <laughs> thematically, what he's battling against in this movie is very much what, you know, this movie star is battling against in the new Hollywood system, right? Yeah. yeah. And so- uh, See, also Tom lo- Cruise in Minority Report, too. Always fighting the future. This yeah, man. that's right. Really Always. Um, the action scenes, many of the action scenes in this movie are, in fact- really great and you do get the sense oh as as i've been saying on the podcast recently someone went to a place and did a thing like Mm -hmm. they actually had people running along on tops of trains they actually had tom cruise jumping off a cliff they actually drove this car through the streets of wherever you know like uh there's a tactility uh texture to them that you don't get from things that are all completely cg and uh and so as a result it's a lot of fun i also think a lot of the new cast members are great. Like, it's great to see them on screen. Haley Atwell, Shea Wiggum, you know, like, mm-hmm. these are, Palm Clementine, these are all really... She is so much fun. Charitable, yeah. uh, not charitable, uh, these are all really, um, these are all really charismatic actors, and it's great to see them on screen and kind of playing off each other. Mm-hmm. They have great chemistry. But, uh, I remember learning about the making of Mission Impossible Fallout and thinking, wow, it's a miracle that they were able to make that thing. You know, uh-huh. because Chris McQuarrie's approach is we're going to build the movie around these big set pieces right and so they shot the uh, motorcycle cliff jump on day one of principal photography because they're like if that doesn't work we're going to rewrite the rest of the movie like that's the also approach. if tom cruise is dead why even shoot any more of it 100 percent true 100 percent <laughs> true um that approach when it works it can feel like oh my gosh you're watching someone like spinning all these plates and he's barely maintaining it and it's really exciting right and that's what fallout feels like is wow i can't believe he pulled that off and now he's pulling this off it's like amazing yeah yeah the problem happens when there is a global pandemic and you need to shut and you need to shut down production five times which is what happened to this movie as a result it feels extremely disjointed it feels very episodic, very like, here's a little short story about this. Okay, now we're off to this place. Here's a little short story about this. And then tons of very clunky exposition to get us from one place to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, I've watched this movie twice now, uh, once in regular format, once in IMAX. I will just let people know, as Jeff indicated, there's no footage shot for IMAX. So um, if you see it in Dolby, you know, if you see it in a premium format, you're good. You don't need to see it. There's no specific yeah. reason to see it. I, I want to throw a shout out to RPX, which is Regal's mm. thing, which has vibrating seats. Nice. So when you, when those explosions happen, you feel it. And I kind of dug that. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love it. But um, but yeah, uh, so I've seen it twice now. And so I, I feel like I'm pretty familiar with the film's strengths and weaknesses for me. Uh, and like, to, in my opinion, the first hour of this movie is pretty weak. I did not have the same reaction to Jeff as as Jeff to the airport stuff. And uh, the first hour just doesn't work for me. But then once we hit the second hour, you know, mm-hmm. from hour, second hour begins all the way to the two and a half hour conclusion, like uh, that, that was really strong. But the first hour is so much exposition, so much introducing new characters and what they're doing and why they're here. And I also think that because they've introduced to my count, at least five new speaking roles in this yep. movie. Yeah, a lot of the older characters are ill-served, and that is a huge bummer for reasons we'll get into in spoilers. So mm-hmm. I'm very, very mixed on this movie. Um, but yeah, state of the end, and Jeff Divinger and I, we're going to rank Mission Impossible 
uh, our Mission Impossible movies, like what what we would rank them oh boy. Uh, at the end of the spoiler section. But we have so much more to discuss. So let's yeah. get into it, guys. It's time to tell you about our sponsor, ExpressVPN. You ever read the fine print that appears when you start browsing in incognito mode? It says your activity might still be visible to your employer, your school, or your internet service provider. How can they even call that incognito? To really stop people from seeing the sites you visit, you need to do what I do and use ExpressVPN. Think about all the times you've used Wi-Fi at a coffee shop, a hotel, or even your parents' house. Without ExpressVPN, every site you visit could be logged by the admin of that network. And that's still true even when you're in incognito mode. I mean, do you really want your parents to see what you've been looking at? What's more, your home internet provider can also see and record your browsing data. And in the U.S., they're legally allowed to sell that data to advertisers. ExpressVPN is an app that encrypts all of your network data and reroutes it through a network of secure servers so your private online activity stays just that, private. ExpressVPN works on all your devices and it's super easy to use. The app literally has one button. You tap it to connect and your browsing activity is secure from prying eyes. So stop letting strangers invade your online privacy. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash filmcast. Use our link at expressvpn.com slash filmcast to get three extra months free. That's expressvpn.com slash filmcast to learn more. Let's talk about spoilers for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth! Inconceivable! I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. All right. So, let's uh, let's talk about this scene or this uh, movie in kind of section by section, I think it's worth it. Okay. Sure. I, sure. Yeah. Uh, I think the opening scene of this movie is disastrous. I hate it. I hate it. Really? So much. I hate it. The submarine yes. stuff. Yes. I it goes on too like, long. Actively I ruins this movie. It mm. ruins the movie. Wow. And I don't understand that why so Macquarie does not see that. Yeah. That is it so is, interesting. Yeah. Okay. T- yeah. T- tell me, tell make the case against the submarine scene. This is, this is a movie where all of the players in the in the film, all of our protagonists, all of the people we care about, the good guys and the bad guys, are all chasing a key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't know what it unlocks. Mm-hmm. We do. Why? Why do? Why is it better that we know on a, for a scene that adds? We know. We know all of the things that the all the players in the movie do not. And it is, it does not enhance the experience. It makes it so redundant and boring for them all to be bumping around trying to figure out what this thing does. And this giant question that the movie asks, the first 10 minutes of the movie gives you the answer to. Mm-hmm. To no effect, to no greater level of tension. Mm-hmm. There, the, It would be so much more interesting, in my opinion, if 
we also were wondering like, this thing is so important. All these people are willing to do all these things for this key and nobody knows quite what it is. And then at the end of the movie, our cliffhanger is the answer's at the bottom of the sea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. your, that's your cliffhanger. Why, why yeah. do you give us the answer in the beginning in a scene that a is incongruous with anything we come to a mission impossible movie for? There is no part of that scene I'm like, where is my in impossible mission force group? <laughs> like, I, I'm, I want my cold open that yeah. I'm used to from right. in mission, starting in media res with the mission impossible guys doing something that yeah. doesn't really, I, maybe it has something to do yeah. with the rest of the prop, maybe it doesn't, yeah. but we're, I'm hopping in like mid, oh yeah, yeah, what's Tom doing? And what are the guys doing? Um, the, this movie does not do that. It, it, it throws you into a, uh, it throws you underwater and is the scene itself technically, you know, sound in, in, in sense that like it creates tension and it has a surprise? Yes. It, does it feel like it's from a completely different movie? In my opinion, 100%. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. does it then completely undermine the experience of the rest of the film? In my opinion, 100%. And mm. I think that is why I, I deem it to be disastrous. I, I didn't quite feel that, Jeff, like they undermine the rest of the film. But I do think it goes on too long. Again, I don't care about these people. This is a well-constructed thing. Honestly, it's nice to see Macquarie try something different, right? We, we've seen the right. cold open, Tom Cruise hanging off a plane. Uh, Fallout had something too, right? Uh, I, I just watched the opening of that again. Um, but it it feels nice to try something different. I think it goes on too uh, long. Fallout yeah, had the, the uh, nuclear uh, plutonium exchange. That, oh, yeah, yeah. So that was... Yeah. That was it, it was them that, doing it was them doing a mission basically yeah that was like so. much slower but I think it was yeah. good um, but I can't help but think like yeah it would be nice to start with the team or at least don't spend so long with these folks because it does feel like we spend way too long in the submarine scene this is one of the kind of challenges that they encountered making this movie so it it, it may not surprise you Jeff to learn that when they finished principal photography when they finished like when they had wrapped on the movie, there was no submarine in the movie. And at some point after the fact, they decided, hey, we need to have the submarine scene or else the audience is not going to be attached to what mm -hmm. is going on in the key, right? They made that decision. This is, according to The Hollywood Reporter, they had finished wrapping and then they decided to add the submarine. So, like, um, now I personally think the, the sequence is really well well executed. I agree with Devendra. Hey, let's try something completely different. Like, And, and uh, so I salute that. But you're right, Jeff, I agree. It does sap some dramatic tension when you, the audience, knows what none of the characters know, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There is pleasure in figuring out how the movie is going to then convey that information to them, which is what you know I experienced. So I actually really liked it. I thought it's just like a really well done sequence, in my opinion. So it would have um, been nice as like maybe a short film or something like something <laughs> like really fun marketing. Hey, this trailer just starts playing what's happening here and then like lead into, Oh, this is a preview for mission impossible or something. Or there's a scenario where like we get to the end of the movie and then there's a flashback, right? That, and then, that, you know, that, that was, I think the, the superior yeah. way to do it is that yeah. the end of the movie, the setup for dead reckoning part two is we got to get to the bottom of the sea. Mm -hmm. There's no moment at this movie where you don't think they're going to have to get to the bottom. Of the, it's, it's such a bizarre mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. reveal. Yeah. We're re we reveal literally the answer to all the questions that yeah. haven't even been introduced yet. It almost yeah. feels like it should be at the beginning of the next movie. Yes. To, as, as the, like, the, mm. you know, going off yes. of the cliffhanger. Like or the end of yeah. the end of part one is what is the key unlock? And the beginning of the second one is, oh my God, that's what the key unlocks? Mm -hmm. That's a brilliant idea too, Devendra, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, they probably looked at the movie, mm-hmm. saw Sans Submarine, and they were like, you know, they, submarine they screened yeah. the movie many times, right? And they're like, you know, audiences just aren't connecting with the key unless they know what's going on. So mm-hmm. they, they made the call, but, you know, it's a fair point. All right. So yep. then um, we get introduced to what the entity is. Oh, well, there's a whole sequence. By the way, where... what a terrible name. Bad name. It's also terrible. the entire plot of Mrs. Davis. It is yeah. wild that we have two things that are just about these protagonists fighting all powerful AI. That's I had that goal. same thought. I was like, this yeah. is Mrs. Davis. But and you have like religious uh, devotees uh, taking care of the yeah. AI too. Yeah, like, yeah, it's a yeah, whole yeah. thing. Yeah. But just um, like calling it the entity, like at mm-hmm. no point, like everybody's on the same page that we're calling it the entity. It's, it's, it's such a dumb name. It's such yeah. a dumb name. I wasn't bothered by it, but we had this, uh, there's a scene in the desert mm-hmm. uh, with Ilsa Faust. We get to see Ilsa with the eye patch sniping people. Which start is there. Just pretty, start there. Pretty incredible. Ah, but like, I have to say, I wasn't like, you know, it's beautiful, but it's like <laughs> not particularly thrilling scene in my opinion. Do you Other, know why she has the eye patch? Which I, I think I, is hilarious. I thought it was just to help her look through the. Rebecca stuff. Ferguson can't wink. She cannot close <laughs> one eye. And then because <laughs> this funny. was happening while they were like shooting it, and McCory's like, just close, close your other eye. She can't do it. It was like, okay, so somebody funny. get me an eye patch. <laughs> well, she looks That's completely she badass. Looks awesome. She's an icon, basically, in this It's scene. very Metal Gear Solid um, 3. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, uh, she theoretically dies. Cut to, uh, we're at the this uh, facility, this National Intelligence Facility. Call it Carrie- Exposition Station. <laughs> call it Exposition Station. Carrie Elwes asks like a bunch of very clunky questions like, mm-hmm. well, where is it now? Where's the key now? Who has the key now? Where is he going? But da, 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 da. And it's like, oh, I like, this is, yeah. I like how the idea behind that scene is it'll sound really lame if one person just says it. So we'll yeah. just literally just <laughs> daisy chain it among five people. Among several comedians too. Like people I recognize from yeah, comedy Rob, roles. Rob like, Delaney, right. Rob Delaney. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Raya Blue. Yeah. They all, so then, they all like, they all rehearsed evidently this presentation. Yeah, it's like, yeah. all right, okay. I'm going to say a line, you right, say and a then line. You say, <laughs> and then you say it has the ability to kill everyone. And then you say it leaves no trace behind. Yeah, um, okay, be, be sure to remember your line because I don't want anybody <laughs> stepping on anybody. Yeah, I don't, do not steal, do not steal my thunder, guys. This is my big moment. Um, so then uh, they introduce what the entity is. And I actually think it's a really compelling idea. Like we've all considered what would happen if chat GPT got loosed upon the internet sure, and was able sure. to change things. And the idea of like people hard copying things down. Like, I love that as a con. Like, I love that scene of them just going through typewriters. Yeah. yeah that's rows amazing. and rows of typewriters. That's amazing. That's it's like, cool. Oh, I, yeah. I hope we do something like that. If that ever happens to us, you know? Yeah. Uh, nothing has ever happened. Nothing bad has ever happened with hard copies of documents. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> totally safe. Totally safe forever. <laughs> What I like about that's never gotten into the wrong hands before. Never, no. um, never. What I like about the idea of the entity, by the way, I do think it's a dumb name, but it's a great concept because it's literally Ethan Hunt has to fight God. Ethan Hunt has to kill and destroy God because that's essentially what this is saying. And like, as a guy who's been described as what the manifestation, a living of des- manifestation of destiny, of right. destiny. Like, it, I think it's all very appropriate. Like, it's so silly. But it fits the silly like wavelength of this series. Yeah. The well, idea that he's fighting AI or an algorithm, I think, is very yeah. strong thematically for Tom Cruise. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I don't the, like I don't like ahead. how the entity's skills and abilities are, in my opinion, very poorly defined. Like whatever. It could do whatever. It, it whatever can do whatever, it but sometimes it can't do things. It can it's host parties. Like, 
Making six ups. <laughs> parties. Go ahead, Jeff. What were you gonna say? No, I I do enjoy uh, there's the the sequences where uh, our team is discussing like. We could do that, but maybe it thought we would do that. I mean, it's very, mm -hmm. you know, Carrie Elwes is in this. It's very Princess Bride to, to be like, <laughs> well, I clearly can't drink the bottle in front of me. Yeah. Right? It's, it's that scene. And then, uh, that to me was very fun of, it wants us to not do the thing we think we should do because it's already thought that we're going to do. Um, so that's yep. fun. But but yeah, the, yeah, I think Mrs. Davis handles this. Yes. In a much better. more interesting way. Mm -hmm. It reminded me, by the way, of this, uh, there's this episode of Rick and Morty about heist movies. And uh, basically the people who make Rick and Morty like really hate heist movies because at the end of every heist movie, no matter what happens, it's always revealed that it was part of the heister's plan, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. no matter what setbacks. So then they have this thing called like the heist of, the Heistatron 3000 that basically forces you to do completely random actions. So that like no one can possibly predict what you're gonna do, and so therefore it can't have been part of the plan. Um, but again, but I, I will point out that the the joy of that mm -hmm. is the audience being behind the players. Mm -hmm. True, and right, we are yeah. always ahead of everybody in this movie because we got information that no one else has right at the beginning, which I think ruins it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Tom Cruise breaks in, has a nice confrontation with Kittredge, whatever, a bunch of more exposition. Tom Cruise breaks in as the weirdest looking man <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Don't, that's that's Just, mean, Devendra. That's a real dude, okay? It's a real dude. That's he has a real, real base. Dude. He has a family. He has people who love him. But you look at that guy. That guy walks into me. I'm like, what's... Why aren't you blinking? I, I will say, what is wrong with you? I will say they have a really cool... He puts on a really cool mask yes. that has like yes. nose clips. It has yep. like clips for your nose and apparently this gas that only acts for like 10 seconds so it's very convenient <laughs> it's so rad uh, but it's nice to see henry's Zer henry's ernie back as kittredge that's awesome it is. Right? it's a rad that's a rad scene the like that yes. he would break into the place yeah where the biggest badasses are and literally just to have a conversation and be like listen i am better than you in every single way yeah. The the thing is, there's so many scenes from this movie that could have been an email, though, guys. Like, <laughs> yes, he could have yes. just Ethan Hunt could have just like there is nothing really about that confrontation that needed to be in person. Well, you it's know? a demonstration yeah. of my ability to own you. Is, oh yeah, is, okay. That's all it is. Because Kittredge I mean? doesn't know that yet from yeah. the first movie. Um. Anyway, I, I, I do wonder why Ethan Hunt is always wondering why does the U.S. government hate me so much? <laughs> Why are they always <laughs> against me, guys? Because well, you're always clowning them. I like how like people talk really derogatorily about like, mm -hmm. oh, they're always going like Shay Wiggum's like they're always going rogue. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> it always yeah, happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um. So then, opening credits. Love the opening credits. Like, <laughs> My, wait, I want to say yeah. one more thing oh, about that scene. Yeah, go ahead. I like when he, I like when he gets on the phone and the guy's like, "Sir, are you under attack?" Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> all right, sir. Uh -huh. If you are under attack, <laughs> hang up the phone before I count to five. <laughs> you know, it's like this guy yeah. just really needs to know. Like, sir, are you sure? Is, is there, speak freely if you are not under attack. I cannot do that. All right, sir. Okay, if you are under attack. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "He says, are you allowed to speak freely?" And he's like, "No." And then he's like, no. "Okay, if you want us to send help or whatever, I'll count yeah. to five and hang up the phone." That was, it was funny. That, it was the funny. conclusion of that scene is funny too. When he just pulls out the mask, it, it's just a look. There's a lot of like just looks yeah. at yeah. people in this movie. It's, it's fun. Yeah. So opening credits. Love the opening credits. Jeff Kanata. I'm curious. Did you watch the opening credits? I did not. Close my eyes. Oh wow. Okay. Close well, my eyes. There was a moment in the opening credits where, uh, like the anti-grav train falling that like in, in the opening credits, everyone in the audience gasped during the opening. They're like, holy <laughs> crap. Like, what was that? Yeah. Um, so amazing. Close um, my eyes. Sorry. Close my eyes. But I was glad. Cause like I, that moment that happened in the context of the movie was amazing. 
we get to the plane, uh, sort of the airport sequence. Um, and Jeff, you love the scene. I'm happy to hear you talk about it. I, I the first time I watched it, I was really excited because like, oh, there's going to be some really cool shit during this. And then nothing really happens. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. And then the second mm-hmm. time I was like, it was more clear to me. But Jeff, why did you love this sequence? Oh, I thought it was phenomenal. Just the 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 orchestration of it, having different groups in different areas of the plane, the way yep. they dupe the, 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 the um, government guys that are chasing them, uh, the, and then having Simon Pegg, you know, have to look. And the fact that you have uh, Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg not telling Tom Cruise about what they're doing. And he's in his own world. Like er, things are high stakes for him. And Ving Rhames is like trying to help one person and help another person. It just felt so tense and so exciting. And Simon Pegg sells that bomb diffusion scene so well. He is losing his shit, you know, and trying to solve those riddles. And then like (laughs) go into Tom Cruise, like, Hey, uh, Tom, could you solve a quick riddle for us real quick? Uh, (laughs) I love just all of that. That's good. And then the way it's shot is so fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the way they're hacking into stuff and the way, you know, the the way it resolves with like that low shot of, of Tom Cruise, like running in the background, like full sprint, the way they had to time that. So the camera comes around just to catch him at full sprint. Just, chef's kiss i loved that whole sequence all of the stuff with her and the palming of the things and when he comes up to her and and tells her the plan by like using sleight of hand magic to like is this what you want or is this what you want like i'm awesome too with the you know the nice callback to the first film so Uh, good so good and yeah i just thought that scene it was like oh my gosh this doesn't have a big stunt it doesn't even have any action really we get some running tom cruise which is always fun but it was just really finely executed thriller filmmaking tension suspense just i just thought it was great Mm -hmm. normally during these movies i'm like alone cackling in the theater you know how silly it all gets and how ridiculous like the stakes get raised but the entire audience was with me too it was like when it was revealed it's like oh this is a nuclear bomb people just started laughing out loud because (laughs) they they're having so much fun with it like to me it reminded me of the tv show from what i remember and certainly mission impossible one too like you don't you don't need the big action what you need is like good characters and good tension here yeah uh I'm glad you guys liked it. For me, I was I think it's like a little bit confusingly done. You know, I compare this mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. in the Bourne Ultimatum, Divindra, right? Remember yes, the Waterloo yeah. sequence when like Matt Damon is trying to guide Patty mm-hmm. Constantine's yeah. character to prevent him from being assassinated? Like By that's a like a much yeah. more yeah, yeah, yeah. It, this scene gets so bogged down in the mechanics of it, like Oh yeah, now she okay. You're going after this guy who has the key, but she had now she has the key. And by mm-hmm. the way, the key is a decoy. And also, there's this other guy there. And then, but then she gets away, and it's like, and there's this other bomb, and it just feels like it. It, it feels like there's too much going on that's not particularly interesting for it to be mm-hmm. thrilling for me. That was me on the second watch of this one. But mm-hmm. I'm glad you guys liked it so much. Um, and I, I just felt a little bit let down. That said, always can go for a Tom Cruise running on top of a beautiful structure. You know, like that's it. Uh, as long as it has that, how could you go wrong? And and there is a spectacular shot of him running on top of the airport that, that is in the scene. It's just, it's a really funny sequence too. Like that really introduces us to Shea Wiggum and his team too. And they're like, okay, we're going to go here. Yeah. Wrong guy, wrong guy. And like his increasing, he's very good at getting frustrated, yeah. I think in an entertaining way. So like yeah, it all just like true. works together. Yeah. That's true. So then uh, Grace escapes, but then uh, she's intercepted at the location that she's arrived at. And then there's this big kind of car chase sequence 
Also uh, this, great. So this, was, oh, so this was awesome. Like, so good. There's so yeah. many like interesting dynamics of like they're handcuffed together and there's wrong this... side of the, the, the driver's seat is on the wrong side right. for the handcuffed. So smart. They need to switch vehicles and well, uh, again, they're... so so the way this starts yeah. is completely ruined by the trailers because for me, <laughs> the experience I had was they walk into the parking lot, they see the badass cars, and then the goofy car comes out. And yes. I, I was overjoyed. I had no idea there was going to be a goofy yes. car in this, I, in this I, scene. True. That's true. We, we, that, we, that was halfway through the whole sequence. So that's okay, not even the you beginning. Can, you can yeah. endure me bringing it up more than once, Dave. You don't yeah. have to <laughs> sigh exasperatedly. I, yeah. I, I'm saying it's an it was an important moment. It's a moment I loved. I was like, oh, they're going to get in the little car. And then they get in the little car. It's hard for me not to compare that scene to the scene in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I don't sure. want to have spoilers or, for... or the born identity, you know, it's, well, it's yeah. a thing. Well, it's yeah, a, thing. a little different than the born identity. I guess yeah. it's similar, but uh, mm -hmm. having just seen Dial of Destiny, and I don't want to spoil anything from Dial of Destiny, I, I can't help but think of how much more fun, how better executed, how much, how much more exciting. And, and I'm like in like the scene in Dial of Destiny when they're in the tiny car uh, is not bad. It's, it's fun. Not a fast I have fun chasing. in that moment. Like, like that thing is not moving fast. Yeah. So much more fun. There are so many more fun beats. Uh, there, like the, the interaction of the two characters in the car itself is so fun. Like it's all just so much better executed. And I think mm -hmm. it, it brought that out in stark contrast, having just seen a very similar in tone sequence. I think a lot of that has to do with the filmmaking choices, the, sure. the camera angles they chose, um, the camera movements they chose, like for instance, I'll just give an example. Like there is a, a moment in uh, the Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning car chase where, like, the car is like tumbling down, and there's a camera inside the car, and it feels like yeah. oh, like Tom Cruise is like tumbling around inside the, you know, and it's like yeah, it, you feel like somebody was actually in a thing, and they rolled around, and mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it, it such doesn't. A such a great gag in that moment too, that the tumbling switches their places in the car. Yeah, amazing. It's so amazing. amazing. Yeah. It's very um, Tintin almost. Like it, it's full <laughs> full cartoon at a certain point. Go ahead, go ahead Dave. There's stuff I want to say here. Well, si yeah. side note, guys. I I'm just going to put this out there. Like it does kind of feel to me like a lot of these movies are just remixing each other this summer. Okay. So <laughs> sure, minor, sure. minor spoilers. Minor spoilers for, or big spoilers for Fast 10. Uh-huh. Uh, Minor yeah. spoilers for like John Wick, minor spoilers for Indiana Jones. Okay, but like um Fast 10 also, also ended on a cliffhanger with a major piece of infrastructure being destroyed by yeah. bombs. <laughs> yeah. Um in Rome. Fast 10 also yeah. had a vehicle chase sequence on the Spanish steps in literally the exact same location yes. as Dead Reckoning. Yeah. Indiana Jones had a a train sequence with people like running on top of the train. Also so I just feel like Wow, it feels like we're just remixing kind of similar ingredients. But I've, but that said, yeah, yeah, I feel like Dead Reckoning does it in such a with such flair, you know, and so much verve that I I, I loved the entire car chase scene. Like I was, you, you could really see fan. the differences yeah. in the franchises and you know the people who make these things too. Like by seeing some of these things repeated, um, I just there's clearly a joke. There's a joke going on where Christopher McQuarrie is like his job is to put Tom Cruise in smaller and smaller cars. <laughs> and there was also a small BMW in Fallout. And they even they're like, you, who picked the smallest car? It was like a 1985 BMW. It was super fast, but it was really tight. And this yeah. uh, this is a souped up uh, Fiat, which they said uh, reaches over 500 horsepower. 
So like that thing just like rockets. It sounds like it's electric or something, but it just like it moves fast because they built it to actually move fast. And yeah. he's driving the thing. He's doing it all while handcuffed too. Yeah. It's really funny that scene where like they reach the bottom of the steps and then like mm-hmm. she they're just like spinning around like it, yeah. it has like it has everything it has like moments for laughter and yeah. to pause and take a break and awkwardness and poignancy uh it's just mm-hmm. a really well done scene. I okay. feel it's like good. this movie mm-hmm. overall embraced comedy more than the last few have. I mean there's mm-hmm. always little moments of levity with the team, you know, Simon mm-hmm. Pegg sort of there for that. Um but I felt like that entire sequence like Davinja pointed out is like Tintin or like a cartoon. It's very Looney Tunes. It's very goofy and but in the in the best possible way. And I was I mm-hmm. was delighted to see the movie not take itself seriously in that moment. You know, I thought it was very fun. Yeah. I was I was worried though that that like I guess the defining characteristic of Grace as we know her at that point is that she's a very good thief. She's a very bad driver, and yeah. I, I you know it is kind of hammered several times. Like oh. She keeps needing Tom Cruise to do the driving. Um, I just feel like that was redundant. You know, we could have made that point once. Uh, but yeah, still a fun chase. Still an incredible chase, man. I, also, Pop Clementep in that scene. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, you know, let's... Uh, I, I want to talk about Haley Atwell and that whole scene. Yeah. Like, but I, let's yeah. get to the next scene, and I think we'll be able to dive into it, right? So mm-hmm. so then there's this whole... Uh, uh, they, they finish the sequence. Haley Atwell gets away. Um, Rebecca Ferguson shows up. It's like, oh, she's in the car. Okay, great. Whatever. Uh, and then they kind of have a meeting where they figure out like what their next steps are and they go to this big party, right? Uh, this big nightclub. This big AI house. party, baby. The Ain't no party like town. an AI party. Because <laughs> an AI party is based on a lot of data that yeah. they've pulled from a lot of different sources. <laughs> it don't stop. <laughs> Never stop. Never has Love to breathe or sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they go to this party and the idea is that Haley Atwell's character is going to deliver her half of the key to the white widow who mm-hmm. I believe had the other half this whole time is my understanding. Right. Yeah. Um, by the and, way, this key does not, I don't know. I mean, kudos to the prop department. It's, yeah, it's a, uh-huh. it's a good fun yeah, MacGuffin. Yeah. It's but a it does not look key. like a difficult key to, to <laughs> replicate. I, I felt know? exactly the same. Way. I was like, couldn't you just cut a new one of those? <laughs> but, yeah. but, but, you, you guys know, replicate but, human faces. You know? <laughs> they, they said, uh, you know, early on Tom Cruise puts on these AR glasses and he's like, you know, these will focus on the dragon eggs in the key. And so it's like, maybe there's some kind of irreplicable component in the mm-hmm. key, sure. right? So, yeah. yeah. Don't um, think about it too much, I guess is the answer. So, there's a big chase sequence that occurs and like here is where I think a lot of the movie's problems start to really come. This whole next 20 minutes is where the movie's really, the problems really come into focus for me. Yeah. Um, Isai Morales shows up. Great actor. He's kind of representing the interests of the entity. Right. And I understand why that character is necessary because Mm -hmm. you can't fight a disembodied robot. It's like fighting Sauron. Like you need someone to represent, yeah. The entity. Yes. And also, but it's like, hey, if it was just a guy who was into the entity, that's not evil enough. Right? Like, because <laughs> yeah. why would why would that person like killing people? Unless you have a backstory where he likes killing people. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's what they gave him. They're like, oh, he loves death and he loves sharing death with people. It's like, oh, okay. So so that's why they made that's the function of the Isai Morales character, right? Yeah. He shows up. For no reason, just for vibes. Like he's like, I'm not even here for the key. I'm just here to say things to you. Like that's yeah. that's all I'm here for. Palm I mean, it's his party. <laughs> it's his party. He's he can he can go. You know. Um, they have this very long ponderous sequence. Isai Morales' character Gabriel then says to everyone, like, "All right, um, well, for the entity to get what it wants, one of these women's gonna have to die." 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is written. It is. It is written. It will be placed yeah. at my feet, which is I think I think an Anton Chigurh reference because that's something that mm. Anton Chigurh says in No Country mm-hmm. for Old Men as well. Um, and then this big chase scene ensues. Well, uh, before that, yeah. like I, I thought that. Again, the staging of that, we have all our players all facing off with each other. Yeah. The the way we're all, you know, tense looking at each other. Who's going to, it's a, you know, uh, I don't know if this is appropriate to say anymore, but a Mexican standoff, you know, it's, it's yeah, that, you can still that, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that kind of feeling. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is awesome. And there's that line Tom Cruise says, he's like, don't move. And I was like, she does not listen to that at all. And yet there are no consequences. She's like, he's like, he's like, don't move. And she's like, okay, cool. I move. You know? And I was like, what? it's a very yeah the 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 scene is awesome on a certain level but on another level like it kind of isn't anything you know because i feel like yeah yeah yeah. they didn't hone in on the grace character enough i'd say and to the isai morales thing the the immediate introduction is he was the guy who basically got you start got you into the imf because of what he did all he did was kill a woman (laughs) that tom cruise knew i'm like oh so okay New new woman enters the ring and she's immediately dead. She exists in this universe only to be the person who died before we ever knew about any of this, and that was annoying. That was that was annoying. a shocking decision because yes, the yes. the the. the the series has so much history yeah. to draw upon. I was like, going to say that same thing. Like, there's why, no why shortage of dead women. There's no shortage, but but it's like, but oh, yeah, man. like why why do you need to? Why do you need to kill a new brunette character when yes. there's so many other brunettes, so many other brunettes. <laughs> that, you, that we already know that you could have killed? I, I wouldn't right? honestly yeah. had the thought like, am I just not remembering this scene? No. A lot of people had that question, Jeff, but but no, yeah. it's like I don't they introduce an entirely new character. Also I, I almost imagine, I just want to say while we're here, I I wonder if they reached out to some people. I wonder if they were like, right. hey, Tandy Newton. Yeah. Tandy Wayne, you, do you want to die Newton in 30 or seconds? Paula yeah. Patton or, you know, any any I of the it, other. Yeah. It would have been Tandy Wayne Newton. Like yeah. that, to me, that would have been, oh, that would be the deep cut. But even she would not. Have, so I'm here to <laughs> to die in 10 seconds? Let me let me well, give you a you. better what, option. What, what, what Tandy Wayne Newton should have been was the thief because that's what yes, she was. That's in what she oh, was. That would have been sick. Instead of Haley Atwell. Yeah, good job. But Tom Cruise doesn't hang out with women her age. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> the the better poll would have been flashback to murdering Emilio Estevez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If this were Fast and Furious, that's what they would do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So then there's this big fight, and this is when. Uh, so the idea is that one of these women need to die. Yeah. Haley Atwell shows up first, and then so Isai Morales is like, "Oh, great! I get to kill Haley Atwell." But then right as he's about to deliver the killing blow. Ilsa shows up with a freaking sword. Sure, great. Now, yeah. Ilsa As one does. <laughs> is yeah. one of the most badass characters ever created for mm-hmm. the big screen. And you cannot convince me that she would not beat Isai Morales with a big sword. Like, in, in a fight between <laughs> Isai Morales yeah. with two dinky knives and Ilsa Faust with a big sword, Ilsa Faust would not lose, in my opinion. Yep. She is killed in that moment. And... The movie seems to remove any doubt that she's like, I watched the movie. We yeah. were very, a lot of people were like, she was already fake killed once. Right. Yeah. She's already fake killed once. And then a lot of yeah. people were like, well, they can't have just killed her off like that. That's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. But I watched it and. Well, they do impossible things in these movies. There is they a do. freaking knife with a handle sticking out for like a full minute and she's not blinking. So yeah. it would take a lot 
to convince yeah. me that she was well, she had so much she, survived it. She didn't are, say anything. There are they could have face masked that, somebody else. Yeah, they they could have face masked yeah. somebody else and dropped her in there. And just like moved. in MI3, that's true. They could yes, have done that. The entity they, is a, de- a devious. It could do anything. I also want to say, like, I think in their effort to come up with things we've never seen before, the let's do a fight scene in the tightest possible confines was mm-hmm. not a great idea. It's an interesting swing, I thought. I, I appreciate I thought, the effort. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I think conceptually it's interesting. In execution, I don't think that worked at all. I didn't think it was in- exciting. Yeah. I didn't think it was well shot. I didn't think, like, I didn't understand the choreography in, in a clear yeah. way. I just didn't. It's fair. It's not. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's a little I, I, too tight. I, w- w- when we talk about these things, uh, there is a great one in Unleashed, the Jet Li movie directed by Louis Leterrier, which is just in a, a toilet stall. And it's like mm. camera straight down and you see everything that's happening. So well, isn't I there one when people try. Yeah. I can't remember the movie. There's another movie where they're like sliding down the, they keep mm-hmm. sliding down. Yeah, these. it was that movie. Uh, I, se- I sent it to you. Um, it's the the Asian movie, right? Yeah. Um, yeah what was the, that called? The, the it was Hitman. So- that the was hitman amazing. That couldn't kill or something like that. It was <laughs> hitman that yeah. couldn't kill. I think it was. I think it was that. The, yeah, it was the fable, the killer who doesn't kill. That was yes, the, the killer who doesn't kill. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so the, that was yeah, cool. That was cool. Uh, it's I, not impossible to do, is what my point is. Like, I, it, I just don't think they did it well. I yep. felt the same way as you, Jeff. Like when I watched it, I was like, oh, this isn't quite working for me. And then the second time, I was, I more admired that they even attempted it. You know? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but it, I, I'm very mixed on that scene. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Ilsa dies. Tom Cruise mourns her for like eight seconds but th- this is where the problems of the movie really start to come into focus like uh, Roxana yeah. Haddadi wrote a great piece about how uh, Mission Impossible is basically Highlander for brunettes um, <laughs> there can be only there, one there can only be one mm, yeah. Like, yeah if we're introducing a new brunette we gotta cycle the old one out of there now here's the thing I cannot imagine that this is what they Im- they envisioned for the Ilsa Faust character when they mm-hmm. started doing this movie um Rebecca Ferguson is extremely busy. She's off shooting Dune 2, and she's off being the star of Silo, the Apple TV Plus original series. Um, so they probably were like, oh, well, we can't have Ilsa Faust anymore, but it doesn't make sense that she would not be in the mission, so we just have to kill her off, right? That's probably what happened. Mm-hmm. But it does feel like a really ignominious end for a really beloved character. Um, Devigro, do, do you agree? I, yeah. I, I had to restrain myself from shouting no in the theater because like... I <laughs> Darth think Vader, waiting, no! No! Yeah. Um, I, there, there is still room because he did not mourn her for very long. And as we know, AIs can be very devious. Um, I, maybe maybe there is room for her to be a face transplant type of type of thing. Like they, This is yeah. Mission Impossible. They, they could totally explain that away. And I think that would be baller if they managed to do that. But also, yeah, I would like to see some of the other women too, because all these movies have really been defined by, especially post, not, not so much the first one, right? There were, there was a sex scene in the first one, but like mission possible Two with the Tandy Newton character, like that was like a romance mission possible three. He was fully domesticated um, yeah. for yeah. no romance. It's Paul Patton. But then we get Elsa Faust. And to me, like it just feels kind of boring because basically this movie fridged one woman already and to do that to Ilta Faust, who yeah. we all love already, it just seems it seems like the most boring way to deal with that character. So that immediately like that's one big knock on this movie for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Agree completely. So anyway, then uh, it's time to get to the final train sequence. Right. So uh, they come up with this plan of, hey, you're going to sell the key. You're going to replace the White Widow. Mm-hmm. sell the key to the buyer and then we will then be able to figure out what the key unlocks right that's the plan um 
And I like that Chris McQuarrie did a nod to himself by like showing what getting on the train might look like. And then before saying like, Oh no, we're not going to do that. Um, the, I, there, I continue a- to be delighted by the mask. Like whenever anyone pulls off a mask in this series, I'm always a huge yeah, fan of it. Yeah, I'm very yeah, excited yeah. by it. Yeah. How they Go ahead, do Jeff, it. What you're going to say, uh, I, I also love the line where she says, I'm going to need some more details, which again, ruined in the trailer, but uh, <laughs> yeah. she says, I'm going to need some more details. And Simon Pegg goes, they just get in the way, which is, I feel like, the, the ethos for the filmmaking the in yeah. mantra yeah yes yeah. yes absolutely absolutely i mean so, fallout has a line like that too like are you new here i think uh ilsa says to somebody in fallout or something yeah uh now i have to say this whole train sequence i thought was overall very very strong incredible um, so good uh but the the best part in my opinion is uh vanessa kirby playing Haley atwell playing vanessa kirby mm-hmm. which always i thought good. was completely believable you completely believe that that is Haley atwell wearing a vanessa kirby mask yeah even (laughs) though it's just vanessa kirby that's all it is right they didn't change the eye color i believe i think that was like one thing so good yeah she does a fantastic job pulling that off in in very subtle ways uh and it's 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 great i mean the audience does a lot of the heavy lifting in our minds but it's you know you don't you don't question it you're not like yeah is that Oh, that's just Vanessa Kirby. You're like in my mind, I'm like mm-hmm. that. I'm watching Haley at will play Vanessa Kirby. That's the <laughs> yeah. whole thing. I want you. Right? They do um, it practically practical effects. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's all that's all in camera. <laughs> I think we should pause to talk about the the Haley at will character a little bit. Sure. Um, so a lot of people have objected to like when uh, Gabriel says, "Well, you got to choose between Ilsa Faust or Grace," and mm-hmm. Ethan Hunt doesn't like making choices. So he's like, <laughs> I'm going to save them both. And he doesn't yes. make a choice. But yep. really, he should have just chosen Ilsa Faust, right? Like The one you have all this back, you know, background yeah. history with? Yeah, yeah. Ilsa Faust is introduced in Rogue Nation saving Tom Cruise's life. Yes. That is the right. first action that that character does, right? Mm-hmm. Grace in this movie continuously tries to betray and escape from Ethan Hunt. Like that is she all does she nothing, does. She does nothing, nothing to help. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but I, you know, we have the, the thrust of what we are told about Ethan Hunt in this particular movie is I care about more about your life than my own. Like mm-hmm. that's his mm-hmm. raison d'etre, right? Is that he is, yeah. he, he exists to put himself on the line for your benefit, which again, metatextual. Um, but <laughs> you know, I think that's the point is like, there's no, there's no universe where Ethan Hunt, like if you say kill her or kill her, he says, no, kill me. Like that's his, right. I will die yeah. so that both everyone else can live. They do give Haley, I will this little arc of like, oh, I'm going to try to join the IMF because my last, my, my life will, it will suck without it. Mm-hmm. I do wish we'd gotten more understanding of who this character was before like she yeah. had to make this big change. Cause it doesn't mean as much if you don't know. Yeah. I mean, she was, the, right? the lesson, as we all know, is always hashtag family. Like it is, <laughs> you got to have a team. You cannot mm-hmm. go through life as a as a lone wolf thief because you're you, you're going to get caught. You're going to get you know killed. Yeah, you need a team. Everybody needs a team. Everybody yeah. needs a family. By the way, Ving Rhames just like removes himself from the movie <laughs> right before we get on the train. He's like, I got to go uh, hack this uh, thing in an air yeah, gap yeah, it's location. It's going to be a lot. I got to be gonna somewhere. It's going to be a lot. Yeah. They, my, my get, wild mm-hmm. speculation. They filmed all the train yes. stuff first and then Ving Rhames wasn't in it. Yep. And so they're like, oh, we got to find a way to take Ving Rhames out of the movie before that I'm really going to so. fight this AI, man. I yeah, just got to go, gotta go fight, fight, and, like, fight this own, AI. Yeah. Uh, I do love that Ving Rhames keeps up his, uh, his thing of just like, I am not moving. I am at the desk. I am always 
sitting, and it's fantastic. There are yeah, very few it. scenes where yeah. Ving Rhames is standing in this movie, yes. and good for him. Good, good for, for him. him. Yeah. After Ghost Protocol, too, which they basically just gave him like an offhand uh, cameo at the end of Ghost Protocol. Remember, he was pissed about that. Families, uh, fans mm. were pissed about mm. that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Have him be in and sit as long as he wants. Yeah. I did think it was cool. The, the I mean, this is going back a little bit, but you know, during mm-hmm. that that chase scene in Venice, the that the the AI, the entity, which I hate calling it. Uh, you know, pretend you know, hacks into their audio and gives him the wrong directions, yeah. which mm-hmm. I thought was a re- was really cool. But also, just do that at the beginning and game over, right? Like that's- <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. right, exactly. It's like that was kind of a bummer because on the one hand, it's like, oh, as we have demonstrated here on the podcast, you can clone people's voices. It's, it's trivial to, yeah. to clone people's voices. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's like. Okay, well, why isn't why isn't it doing this all the time to or just mess everyone one up? One time right? like, that yeah. and that kills them all, and that's you're done, done, and done. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it's going to be revealed the AI is a very big Ethan Hunt fan, and yeah. just like keeps inventing scenarios. Like he's a rat in a cage, and he's like, okay, you gotta you gotta take a motorcycle off a mountain for this one. Can you do it, Ethan? Can you do it? It's yeah. like if we're gonna send a Terminator back in time, mm-hmm. do we need to make him so? Uh, conspicuous. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? yeah. Does he need to be this huge guy? Couldn't it be like a child or something? Right? Like, <laughs> like, uh, or 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 maybe someone that the, it's not even something that you see. Yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so whatever. Okay. But this train sequence is like a multi-part sequence where there's so like. So good. I mean, uh, I liked it. I liked it when I saw it in the Uncharted video game series, but it's also nice. great here. Nice. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a bunch of great moments. I love like Palm Clementif. Jumping onto the train from the bridge, yeah. um, she unlocks a cargo container that has Isai Morales in it. Yeah, it's in like, an oxygen tank, or like, well, no, not only that, yeah. it's not only yeah. oxygen, but there's like a little VR mask with entity branding on it. Like, love it. What do you think, Jeff? What do you think? Uh, what do you think he's doing in that <laughs> you, VR? Experience? I think you load up your favorite <laughs> podcasts, some some episodes of the yeah. Seinfeld. You know, mm-hmm. you just get watching through. himself. Do you think in the Mission Impossible? Movie. That's what's happening. He is do you, Ethan Hunt. Do you think the entity has a podcast? Like, that's how he gets his <laughs> orders. Oh, the yeah. entity has a podcast, and he's like, "That's it's, how he's." Uh-huh. The entity's orders. podcast is called the Joe Rogan Experience. <laughs> <laughs> I am, uh, I'm convinced. Like, also that jo- Jason Bateman show or whatever. Like all these shows that are inexplicably popular. That's that's not real. That's just AI trying <laughs> mm-hmm. to warp brains uh, all over the place. So a few big moments, right? But the biggest one is Tom Cruise needs to intercept the train. Mm-hmm. He rides off the cliff, and. I've seen like when I've I've watched this movie twice now, and both mm-hmm. times it's like a magical experience in the theater. Yeah, people because clap. People, yeah, people are like in awe of it. But I've also seen some chatter online that I'm very sympathetic with. That it's like, as you said, Jeff, the whole movie is like building up to this moment, mm-hmm. and you just compare it to other sort of set pieces for Mission Impossible movies. I'll just throw out two, just random ones. Okay, like. Mission Impossible 1, the breaking into the CIA room, that's like a mm-hmm. multi-step thing of which there mm-hmm. are many amazing moments. I guess that's true of the train sequence as well, right? Yeah. But like, it just feels like you're pinning all this or a fallout. Tom Cruise like dancing in the helicopters like towards the end of the movie. There's like, he climbs up, he falls down. It's like yeah. the helicopter crashes, all this stuff. And it just feels like um, to build up to this one big moment, uh, it's over in like, eight seconds you it's know? really like, fast it's really yeah. fast and yeah. then i think like a lot of people are like a little bit underwhelmed by it but jeff like you know um i know you had the moment spoiled for your trailer but i guess like as a moment of pure spectacle what was it like in the theater when you experienced it 
I am definitely in the camp of it is not as impressive as it actually is. Mm-hmm. Like the movie does not make that moment as impressive as the behind the scenes yeah. featurette does. The behind yeah. the scenes featurette is truly mind blowing, thrilling. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, that moment is. It, it passes by in a blink and there's so much better stuff all around it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they try to do, I think there's a moment where we see him actually falling and like delivering a line, you know, in the air, which is pretty yeah. amazing. Like, yeah. because you clearly like, they, he did this a bunch of times. One of the times he delivered a line yeah, <laughs> for the yeah. movie while doing this stunt, uh, which is pretty wild. That was the coolest thing. I honestly, the, the like going over the edge and following him and having him fall it's cool. It's, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to diminish yeah. it, but I don't think it plays in the context of the movie yeah, yeah. as impactful as it actually. I, I can was. imagine the way to make it have the impact is to not cut that shot and follow him to the top of the train. Yeah, but you can't but do that. You can't like, do that's that. Impossible. He didn't actually that's do that. Yeah. He didn't actually do. I mean, it's um, actually awesome in the the way in the movie we're in the train and he just pops through the window. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. great. Yeah. That's cool. But yeah. Uh, you know, we have to be honest about our reaction to it, which is like, hey, um, watching this featurette is like incredible what they did. Yeah. And then in the movie itself, it it was a cool moment and then it's over. And I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the stuff in the train that happens afterwards is actually more impressive, you know, yep. in, in my opinion. The so, other experience- it's also all real, like the falling train and him climbing up and them hanging like that's real. They didn't actually hang off a train off the edge, but yeah, he yeah. actually did similar action. All yeah. the yeah. train yeah. stuff is fantastic. It's I so agree. much fun. But also, I have to admit, my experience of watching the lead up to the jump and the jump was like, in the feature out, I saw this giant ramp that they built. Is he going to like take <laughs> take yeah. a bit moment yeah. to like build an erector set ramp? And then yeah. there I'm like, oh, they CG'd it into yeah, a rock. Yeah, they CG'd it. Yeah. So I, that's the experience I'm having in the movie is like, oh, it's a CG rock that they're having. In. Like right. none of that had to be in my mental equation, but for the marketing of this movie. So mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it, um, on the other, on the flip side, I'd say, man, look at the amount of work that went into a 10 second long yeah. sequence, Yeah, you know, and yeah. I can't think of too many other franchises where that amount of work and effort is being done on things. So, you know, it's, it I is wish incredible. it worked better. Yeah. And, and to, and to its credit, it, the movie builds up to it, but it doesn't hang the entire sequence. Like that's not the yes. only impressive thing that happens. This is if not I, the Burj Khalifa If that was sequence. the only thing that happened at the end, then it'd be like, yeah. okay, maybe... Yeah, you know, it would be more. But then they they still deliver on a bunch of other action after the fact, right? So I just have to say, in my mind, Palace guys, like, imagine if he did that jump and we were able to at least capture a shot of him landing on top of the plane or on top of the train. I mean, that would be amazing, but also like, yeah, very hard to very hard to do. Um, Impossible, impossible. You said, (laughs) yeah. Can I? I mean, I would like to express Mm -hmm. my mind, Palace, one more time, uh, which is like, can you imagine if you didn't know that was coming? And and he's on this motorcycle. You see how the it's supposed to happen, and you think the in the movie mm-hmm. he's going to jump a motorcycle sure, sure. on a train, which is cool. That is cool. And you yep. think, oh, we're about to see Tom Cruise jump on a train, and then he misses the train, and you go, I genuinely don't know what's going to happen next. And he keeps going up the hill, and Simon yep. Pegg's like, you got to keep going higher. And he gets to the edge, and he goes, what am I going to do? And you, as the audience member, do not know what he's going to do. I will. I will present an alternative, though, Jeff. Um, for somebody to be wowed by that spectacle, they got to be in the seat. They have to actually go to the theater yeah, to no, see I, I get that. this movie. I... And the, the idea that we are so precious about a lot of these things, 
that's not true in a lot of other countries, like in in Indian, in a lot of Bollywood films, like the songs and the dance sequences and so many major things are out there before. But you go to the movie because you, I want to see how this all fits together. You know, that's um, just not my yeah. equation. And it's yeah, fine yeah, that yeah. it is for some people. I would posit, though, if if you're hanging your argument on the idea that nobody goes to see the Mission Impossible movie unless you know exactly what Tom Cruise is going to do in it. I reject that. I, do, I don't think that's true. You may lose go some for spectacle, people, but you got to sell the spectacle. Sometimes. I think you, yeah. I think knowing that at this point, we've got seven of these. I think, you know, there are certain movies and franchises that don't need to reveal, like ask Miyazaki right now. Like mm-hmm. that movie's the new Miyazaki movie's coming out with no marketing. And they're you like, it's a one Miyazaki of the greatest movie. Artists Come see it because it's Miyazaki. Time. Yes, one of the greatest artists of all time who releases movies very infrequently can do that. This I series, argue, we've played the box office game for so long. This series has never cracked like what 300, right? It's never it's never gone as high as I think it fully deserves. So, I don't know if they keep trying to get more people to see it. To me, I think that's like that is the goal. I want people to enjoy this thing, you know? I guess, but I don't think it's borne out that this method of getting people to see it is working. Like it it I mean, based on, we don't know the end of we the day know. money, but it doesn't look like it I mean, worked. people were prepared to clap. Like in my theater, I heard it's like, oh, it's coming. I hear, I hear the anticipation. I hear people like getting excited. And then when it happens, eruption of applause behind me. And that is, you are, you are prepared to do that, but maybe you'd do that too. If it I just think like I would be erupting in applause if I didn't know it was coming, but that's just, you but and you, I differ with that. You wouldn't know how real it was. I, I, I appreciate yeah. that you both are representing very different sides of this yeah. question. Um, I don't want to get drawn into a debate about this, uh, but Jeff, I, I disagree with everything you're saying. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't want to be in a I, debate. I fundamentally disagree with you. Well, I'm not shutting you. I'm not shutting you down. You've already you've said you sp- spent yeah. ten ten yeah. x as long as I've talking about this. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying for the record. I no, I'm I, not saying moving mm-hmm. on as I agree with you. It is clear. So, that is yeah. clear. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fine. It's um, fine to have a difference of opinion. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, so then we get to like uh, Haley Atwell decides. When she's getting the money transferred to her, she's like, you know what? Maybe I'm not because she realized. I think she decides I'm not going to give Kittredge the key. I need to take the key because I don't feel safe in this situation. Yeah. So and, and they're taking the money and the key. Yeah, but she's like, no, I, want, I don't want people after. I don't want people like yeah. hunting after me. But they're going to hunt after anyway, her anyway. Um, you know, big action scenes occur. Uh, they they disconnect the train uh, well, from the rest rewind, of the train. Real yeah, quick, right ahead, there. Go ahead. Why yeah. is Carrie always on the train? I don't oh, yeah. understand why he's there. That that was an open question. I don't question understand why like, any of those dudes are there. This is true. There there yeah. was an open question of like, does Carrie Elwes know that Kittredge is, or does Kittredge know that Carrie Elwes is there? That's the question. I don't right. think so. Because right. Carrie so. Elwes knows that Kittredge is there. He's like, yes. the the deal is happening right now because he is the head of intelligence. Yeah. So he is yeah. the big boss. Yeah. Why does Kittredge even need to be there? He doesn't. Right for for the because I mean he had he, scheduled he a he had scheduled a buy with the White Widow. So yes. it's like he is actually integral to the plot. Carrie Elwes yeah. is not. He yeah. just shows up to die. Also, I did. if you guys yeah. are in that situation where you have to, at the spur of the moment, pretend to be someone else, and then you're going to betray the people and try to get the money, <laughs> are, can you like recall your bank information on the fly like that? Because I would Absolutely. be, I'd be like, oh, yeah. give me a yeah. like, give me a second. I I gotta like look at my I d- phone. I did think about this, Jeff. Um, I can recall my bank account because I've had it since I was like 18. Um, the wiring, the routing information, mm-hmm. that is the one where I was like, I don't, I, like, I don't ah. have that down. Yeah, I. Uh, so l- let's talk a little bit about Palm Clementine's character. I mm-hmm. I really loved the character. Um, I think it works really well. I love that she kind of like takes out those guys. 
completely unarmed. She is very gleeful in her in her yeah. madness. And she has I like a, sad- that fun. a sadism yeah. to her, but it yeah. does make her like transformation at the end a little bit unbelievable to me. Like she basically the whole t- movie, she's the Joker pretty much. You know, she's yeah. like, yeah. I'm I'm killing people and I'm enjoying doing it. That's her the whole movie. And then at the last minute, because Tom Cruise didn't cave her head in with a pipe, <laughs> she's like, I'm gonna save your life and tell you where the you know what the key unlocks, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think of that transformation, guys? Did that, did, you, did that land for you guys? What do you think? I mean, it's uh, that that is Ethan Hunt's superpower, right? <laughs> to to I'm going to spare your life, and just through the sheer goodwill that he contains, he can change people's moral compass. You know, so there that you, works. Fair enough. To, to me, that good. works. Fair enough. Yeah. Of the things that stood out as plot weirdness, that wasn't one of them for me. Fair personally. enough. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there is this whole sequence when the the train is unhooked. The train's cars start going downhill. Oh, so I wanted to make this comment, Devendra, about like, and Jeff too, which is like their whole approach has been to combine uh, actual real life stunts with a bunch of CG, right? Sure, you got to, it. To varying yeah. degrees of success, right? So in the case of Dead Reckoning, they disguise the ramp that Tom Cruise drives off of. In Fallout, when he jumps off the plane, they disguise they CG'd the entire ground. Like it's mm-hmm. a different the I think they did it during the daytime, yeah. if I'm if yeah. I recall yeah, yeah. correctly. Um uh, and so they've they've done a lot of like CG combinations with uh with real life. And it's like it's debatable how successful it is, but they always try to show you something real. So for instance, uh the train goes off the rails and crashes into the ground. And if you look at the making of it, they actually attached a camera to the side of a real life train. And drove it off of a cliff. And you yeah. see some of those shots in, in the movie. Now, they replaced all the backgrounds and everything, like, and made that all different. Um, but I, I do appreciate that they're trying, they're trying to do a lot of stuff in camera, like Christopher Nolan style, yeah. where they're like, hey, we're trying to shoot in camera. So to anyway, me, that seems fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then they have this thing where like they're moving from train car to train car. Uncharted 2, Among Thieves, is that the one, right? Is, yes. Is, is mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Um, but I, I was just impressed that there was something of this ambition so late in the movie like i thought yeah, the movie had already climaxed we peaked 100%. and then yeah. you know through the freaking kitchen car with the hot oil and Amazing. everything and the fact that that sequence keeps going and going yes. and going and, yes. and you know they have to go through multiple cars and multiple yes. cars are falling and they're still and there's that wonderful moment where everything is topsy-turvy and we're still inside the car with them and you have to jump from one like little mm-hmm. yeah. rail which would be yeah, vertical in <laughs> yeah. right side up, but now works as a ground. Like I loved all that. The piano, the piano, the piano, like hanging on yeah. by a little clip. Ugh, so it. good. That's good stuff. Yeah. And then uh, Palm Clementine shows up and saves everyone's life before uh, before they die. Hey. So we're I all. Mean, we're I, I all think good. it was good. I was more annoyed. Like that's another character, uh, young Asian girl has very few speaking lines and uh at one point is wearing a schoolgirl outfit while she's using <laughs> it's like you're getting all the tropes in there buddy um it's so true. at least to, to be she fair gets though something more. to be fair though i uh-huh. don't think they killed her so that it to the film's credit because at the mo- end of the movie yeah. one of the guys is like oh I, i'm getting a pulse yeah. so i think i'll bring her back for another movie where she doesn't speak much yeah i think yeah, i think she's still alive and grace asks kittridge to join the imf at the very yes. end of the movie. so there is that uh, i do want to talk quickly about the names uh grace and gabriel which mm. i do feel like Again, guys, I, I get what you're doing with all these like religious themes around the AI. I think Isai Morales' performance as like a fanatic, like he is such a he's a true believer in a way. And to me, that is scarier than um, 
you know, scary than most Mission Impossible villains. Maybe not the not the last one, not the was it the Rogue Nation guy and Fallout guy. Like he is he is just like an amoral, you know, super villain. Uh, but this a, de- a devout person who has crazy beliefs is terrifying to me personally. Yeah. I have a question about that last Kittredge asking to join the IMF moment. Um, yeah. You can correct me if I'm wrong because I may have gotten the wrong impression. Um, because at that point, it's all just. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like Kittredge was not on the up and up at the end. I felt like he was kind of being a, a bad guy at the end. I, I think we are just supposed to assume that Kittredge is working on behalf of the U.S. government. Yes, that's yes, that's kind of what. But that that in itself is bad because the right. U.S. government having that power would be bad. That's kind of my. But like, I, the, even the idea of her asking him to be part of the IMF at that point, it's like, don't you don't want to associate with this guy anymore, right? Like all, yeah. Tom Cruise and the team, they're not going to be. They don't care what Kittredge says about the IMF, yeah. right? That's a little weird. And also, yeah. she just finished um, deceiving him for like a good ten minutes, you know, yeah. in uh, Vanessa Kirby's uh, face mask. So. It's a little bit of an odd moment. It feels a little bit forced to land the thematic point that they're trying to land, which is like yeah. she wants to be a part of hashtag family. So I, I would agree with you there, Jeff. Yeah. So that's the movie, and uh, apparently Tom Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt needs to go find this uh, submarine at the bottom of the sea. Next movie. Yeah, and- which I guess is going to be an Im- Im- impossible mission. I will say there is one glaring omission in this movie that we have defined in our previous uh, rewatch of this entire series as being essential to these movies. And the only explanation I can give for it not being in the movie is that this is part one of two. Uh And that is, there's no standing at the chalkboard telling you how impossible this mission's gonna be Mm. moment. There's no like, sure. well, first yeah. we have to do this and then we have to do that. And how are we going to do that? And then there's no way we could do that because they've got the security system with this. Doesn't happen in this movie. And I can only assume that will happen when we decide we need to go to the bottom of the ocean and yeah. get the thing out of the thing. There's going to be like, I feel it, like it'll be the, the whole it, thing. The pressure will kill us and the nuclear yeah, yeah. leaking mm-hmm. will kill us and yeah. all the other things will kill us. The intro to Haley Atwell's character uh, before the train stuff for me was that scene of them being like, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And she's like, I don't, it's not visually put out there, but that is them explaining the whole Mm -hmm. thing. My, my new annoyance with dead reckoning part two is that um, we learned in the first five minutes that that sub was uh, flying by uh, floating by dead reckoning could not see where it's going. What is the relevance of that phrase (laughs) in the second movie? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. What? We have to go down not, and find the yeah. sub that was navigating by Dead Reckoning. By Dead Reckoning. Part two. But we, we Guys, cannot use Dead Reckoning. We need it, to know where it is. It's yeah. because, Devendra, that's how Ethan Hunt moves. It's true. It's he true. moves by Dead without Reckoning. Seeing. Without, he, seeing. without seeing. He's feeling, man. He's all about the vibes and not having anyone on his team die. Those are his big things. He's got two so. big priorities. Dead Reckoning. <laughs> And ghost protocoling. <laughs> and rogue nationing. Um, and falling so, out. And falling out of everything. <laughs> falling out of trains. Falling out of planes. Yeah. So, any other thoughts on Dead Reckoning Part 1? I think we've talked about most, yeah. pretty much all the stuff that we wanted to get there, right? What's the um, what's the whole situation with 2? Are they, are they filming it? Is it happening? They are I mean, filming. We they were filming. It is, it is not... Principal photography has not been completed on Dead Reckoning Part 2, as far as I can understand. I saw so. Macquarie say something like, we have begun doing something in, <laughs> in some country, but now, like, you can't do anything, yeah. right? So, yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it'll, it could be years until we see Dead Reckoning Part 2. Um, 
But yeah, overall, uh, I did have a good time with this movie. But it's oh, yeah. so let's let's end by ranking, right? Like, oh, yes. what our yes. Mission Impossible movie ranks are. Um, I don't think this is an easy uh, series to rank personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is very personal. I think it's a, it's hard because it gets real muddy to me at the top. Like the bottom is easy, but the top is uh-huh. harder for me. And right, did uh, we did we do a ranking when we did the rewatch? Because I did not go back. I may have a completely different rank that I re- That's ranked. okay. It's okay. Things change over time. That's fine. Um, okay. Why don't Why don't mm-hmm. I start? And so let's just sure, let's just sure. each run down the list and kind of provide uh, a little light commentary on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here are my ranks. Um, Mission Impossible Six Fallout, in my opinion, just like a complete success on every level. Incredible action, looks amazing, sounds amazing. It's like the best of what Mission Impossible can deliver. Mission Impossible 1 is my second. Wow. Uh, Brian De Palma, bringing the psychological thriller vibes to the Mission Impossible series. Uh, Great action that still looks good and holds up to this day, in my opinion. Like that train sequence still looks good, in my opinion. Except for the explosion, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mostly looks good. Everything else is really, really great. Ghost Protocol. Uh, Love just... Uh, also really audacious in terms of the stunts mm-hmm. and obviously like the uh, first movie where the template was set that this is going to be Tom Cruise hanging off of taller and taller things. Um, Rogue Nation, still solid. Uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1. So I rank it number 5 out of 7. And then Mission Impossible 3 and then Mission Impossible 2. So those are my okay. rankings. All right. Yeah. Devinder Hardware, how do you rank the Mission Impossible films? Very differently, but I will say I do like all of these movies, even the ones I put low. So this is yes. like mainly a ranking of things I like. Let's be you know? clear, yeah. Even yeah. even Mission Impossible Two, I still think has a lot of redeeming qualities. So like we both I, love yeah. Mission Impossible Two. Yeah, I wouldn't say love at this point, but I I still <laughs> like it and I still Listen, will defend a it. A so. big part of our friendship, Dave, exactly. was was bonding Agreed. over Mission Impossible no, Two. No doubt, yeah. no doubt there. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I I like at least all of these movies. Um, mm-hmm. Love some of them. So like. Uh, just because it's ranked at the bottom doesn't mean I don't like yeah, it. Okay, yeah. go ahead, Devinder. So, top for me is Rogue Nation. Mm. I think Macquarie's jump into the into the series just felt so energetic. He had it feels like he had so much to prove uh, because this is his biggest movie ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he worked. Uh, he did work on Ghost Protocol, but yeah, he, 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 he wasn't did, a director yeah. in Ghost Protocol. Yeah, he wasn't a director. <laughs> I know he was doing script stuff with Cruise for a while, but that movie I just rewatched it. It is so impressive. All the it just like flows. All the set pieces feel so good, and the introduction of Ilsa Faust. I think again one of the best action characters we've ever gotten. And the reason I rank this one above Fallout is because this one has a lot of great Ilsa Faust. You know, she is not as in Fallout as much. Uh, she was dealing with her pregnancy and everything. Um, so I love this movie. I love the opera sequence. I love the way like the opera actually weaves into the score of the movie. I love the sort of like romantic vibes it, it, it gives off to between her and Ethan. Like, I think that is a perfect movie. My second would be Fallout which I think is very, very strong, but only um, big downsize, less Ilsa. And I would need more Ilsa. I'm yeah. always wondering what, what's happening with Ilsa. Where's I would Ilsa? love to know. All the Where's characters Ilsa? should be asking where Ilsa is. That's absolutely. <laughs> yeah. uh, my third would be Ghost Protocol. And I do think this is another sort of like reboot of the series. It feels like every movie has been a little different. And Ghost Protocol is unique because it's coming after MI3. Brad Bird, I believe this is his first live action movie yep. too. And it feels like a cartoon. It feels like what, like the Incredibles. And I think like he is such a good visual stylist that this is when the series started going like full on Buster Keaton, you know, like <laughs> just some of those, it's just fun visual stuff. Um, my fourth would be mission Impossible three. 
because thank you, JJ Abrams, for just rebooting this thing. I see people shitting on this movie now. Yeah, me and too. Me too. I am. I don't it like is it. funny. It's funny to just be around long enough to see like the dialogue change. And uh, I'm sure some of these people were in goddamn diapers when that movie came out. So I don't know. Um, but no, I yes, it looks like a big budget episode of Alias. You know what's great? Alias. So yeah, I have a lot of fun with Mission Impossible 3. And yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman, all time, one of the great villains there too. My next one would be Dead Reckoning. And I think just because it's very, it's, it accomplishes a lot of things. Um, you, it does many things very well, but to me, just not as strong as everything that came before. After that would be Mission Impossible 1, which I still really like. And that was not the first movie I saw in the series. So I don't have the attachment that people did in the mid nineties. Um, I'm weirdly more attached to MI2, but as a film, I think Mission Impossible 1 is fantastic. And my last one is Mission Impossible 2, which again, like not a great movie, but damn, is it a fun one. And I, when I, I will, I will have a lot of fun with it at all times. Yeah. I, I just think Mission Impossible 2 has aged poorly. That's all. It ages it very was, badly. It, it yeah. was, I think, the top grossing film of yes. the year that it came out. So it was a big deal when it came out, but it just ages yeah. poorly. It was like everywhere in high school. Like it was just a thing everybody was talking about. We were just so blown away by the aesthetics of it and everything. So, so yeah, we, you know, we, we yeah. put Dead Reckoning pretty close to the same spot, Devendra. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Jeff Kanata, curious what your ranking of Mission Impossible movies is. Yeah, you guys have covered a lot of this, but um, I am. Uh, I'm going to put, uh, I'm sorry, I feel like I have to sneeze, but it's not going to come. Now, now I mentioned it, it's not going to come. Um, my number one is Ghost, Ghost Protocol. Um, mm, yeah. The Burj Khalifa scene is the high watermark for this entire series for me. The, mm-hmm. That is the most impressive thing I've seen an actor do on the big screen ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if you ask Tom Cruise, he may, I don't know, he may tell you things were more difficult than that. For me... Being mm-hmm. outside the tallest building in the world, dancing around on a wire mm-hmm. is nausea inducing. Like I, I get, I break out in chills just thinking about it. Yeah, and it is an incredible sequence, especially when I saw it in IMAX. Yeah, and the way it plays in the movie, where we have people on different floors, and he's outside the building, and they're trying to maintain stuff, and he he falls. It's just. For me, that sequence alone puts it number one of all of the uh, Mission Impossibles. Uh, then it gets real hard for me. I could like argue, I could jostle the next two movies around, but I went with Rogue um, and Fallout in that order. But for a lot of the reasons you guys said, I, I could flip flop those and be perfectly fine. I think both are very, very good and very fun. Um, and then number four, I put Dead Reckoning. I really like it. I had fun with that movie. I like these later era Mission Impossible movies more than the earlier era ones. I like the template that we have. I like our team being established already. I like the big set. I had a blast with this movie. I, like I said, I loved the airplane sequence. I love the mini, little car sequence. I love the train sequence. That's a lot of movie to love. Um, so... That's why I put Dead Reckoning number four. Then Mission Impossible 3, which is is really fun. I think all of the him being married stuff muddies the entire series in a, in a weird way, uh, but it's still fun. And then Mission Impossible 1 and Mission Impossible 2. So that's my, uh, that's my rankings. But I think th- I, for me, the movies kick into high gear post Mission Impossible 3. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people love the J.J. Abrams. I enjoy that movie too. We did a big rewatch. I enjoyed it. But I definitely think you can draw a line after mission impossible three and then the series really becomes what I love about it. 
for yeah. sure. Agreed. It is. These are still bad robot productions. So like Abrams is still like a part of this, I guess. But you know, not not creatively. That's all McQuarrie now. Yeah. yeah. Re- really, it's still a bad robot production. It is. It is. Yeah. Huh. It still pops up, at least from what I saw. From what I recall. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't recall that. Um, mm-hmm. Let me see if it's. Mm-hmm. I don't. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. No. 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 Um, uh, Dead Reckoning is the first film in the series since Mission ah. Impossible 2 not to involve J.J. Abrams in any capacity. Okay. And it's also the first film in the and series look to not... what happened! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's also the first film to not be produced by Bad Robot since Mission Impossible 3. Okay. So you're, okay. you're true. It was all the way up to this one, but mm-hmm. not this one. So mm, um, Telling. <laughs> by the way, extremely random note that I wanted to put in the main review, but... Uh, uh, it is interesting that at this point there have been seven Mission Impossible films, and the mask machine has broken in three of them. So well, this, it's just I, a re- I equate it yeah, to yeah. the Professor Charles Xavier problem, where <laughs> yeah. we 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 have something that that is so powerful, <laughs> right, and yeah. so effective in every situation. There's not a situation where Professor Charles Xavier <laughs> is not useful. <laughs> that you just got to knock him out for yeah, most of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely. Yeah. So the uh, the moment that happens in Fallout is one of my favorite when like um was it uh you know Superman sw- hits the guy in the face in the bathroom with the laptop and you hear that crunch and you're mm. all like there goes a face machine. It's a shame. Every <laughs> my, time, every time. My favorite part of the the thing is okay, so in this movie there's mm-hmm. Vanessa Kirby's character, the White Widow, and her brother, I think, is Zola, right? Yeah. Yeah. In real life, Zola is huge, I think, <laughs> right? Uh, but Tom Cruise, th- that's the thing that's funny. The people that Tom Cruise can transform into can't be that tall. So they show an alternate version where Zola and White Widow, like wh- where Tom Cruise yeah. and Haley Atwell will have become those characters. Yeah. I am convinced that they put <laughs> White Widow on like these massive platform shoes to make <laughs> it seem like there's no height difference between the two of them mm-hmm. um, so that that entire fictional sequence makes sense well you know so. uh davindra kind of uh <laughs> you know dogged the the guy that he transforms into at the beginning in the in the I, i'm just saying that guy looks weird dude like that guy stands I, out what i loved room. about him a, a super yeah. short but the yeah. second yeah. you see him you yeah. know it's tom cruise under there yeah. yeah it's like that's tom cruise but that, yeah. like what is that actor doing <laughs> to give you that like this <laughs> <laughs> right? There's no you un- there's not a second of moment where you're like uh-huh. maybe that's just a guy. You know it's Tom Cruise from the- but it's just another actor. It's just another mm-hmm. actor. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in American Psycho where uh what what's his face? Actors names are following me right now. But Christian Bale. Christian Bale was channeling Tom Cruise in American Psycho. Yeah. Mm. So he was doing the same thing. Just like beat Tom Cruise in the meeting. Okay. <laughs> Don't blink. Dead eye, <laughs> death lizard eyes. Well, at the end of the day, folks. It's really impressive that Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie made a movie. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper and weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Next week on the podcast, this is the biggest month for movies in the last three years, guys. Um, Next week on the podcast, it's going to be Oppenheimer. I'm really excited about. We've this made movie. our choice. Go. We've made our really Barbenheimer excited. choice. <laughs> we've made our. Bar- I mean, I'm I'm still going to see Barbie opening weekend, but yeah, um, same. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's going to be Oppenheimer. So uh, I'm really curious. Did you guys have- see the 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 little interview on the red carpet of Tom Cruise when they asked him that question, which movie 
I'm sorry. I, I'm turning. No. I'm turning. I, I stopped the theme music. Sorry, I didn't know you started the theme. Music. <laughs> it's okay. I can let you go. It's not that. No, big no. Big. I I already stopped it. Tell us. Did you see, did you you see that the, the little clip where somebody asked him like, "Which movie are you going to see first, Oppenheimer or Barbie? You oh, can only yeah. pick one." Did you see that? I no. I, I I did. See it's so funny because he starts answering it and you see his like gears moving yeah. and he's like. Well, I, you know, I just love movies, and I would I usually go I would go see uh, Oppenheimer. For, well, actually, I would see both movies uh, back to back and on Friday, both on Friday, see both yeah. at the same time yeah. in each eye. It's so yeah. funny. You see him just like I'm trying to tell you. Uh, it, it's very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris being well, human is hilarious. Yeah, but anyway, <sighs> yeah. next week on the Filmcast, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be Oppenheimer. Uh, followed by Barbie. Look forward to our conversations. Until then, we'll see you later. Bye.